the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Robert Steinbuck. I am filling in for Dave today. I look forward to talking with you all, and we're going to start right in it on the legislative session. As you may have heard, the Dave Ellswick free speech bill has now passed both houses. What do we mean by this bill? What is this bill about? This bill is about the horror show that goes on across America in leftist ideologue indoctrination centers known as universities. Wait, what? Wait, Rob, don't you work at a university? Oh, I work at a university. And I've seen the inside of universities across this country. And let me tell you, you, you've got to go with a magnifying glass and a blowtorch to find somebody who voted for Donald Trump. You may recall, you've heard me on Dave's show, when Trump was running against Hillary, I was supporting Trump every week. But you can't find anybody. You can't find anybody across this country on these leftist campuses that is a Trump supporter. You can't find virtually anybody on these leftist campuses who's a Republican, who's voted for a Republican in the last 10, 20 years. And at these indoctrination centers that we call universities, all of a sudden, if you're a conservative student, faculty member, staff member, anybody, and you want to talk on campus about your conservative ideas, good luck. You got to go to a free speech zone. This happened to Ashlyn Hogart at ASU. She put out a table and she said, I want to join a national group, Turning Point, a national conservative group. And so I need members. Before I can start a campus group, I need members. And she sets up her little card table and the administrators who believe they own that school, who believe they own that property, who believe they're the boss of that place like you're the boss of your home, sent out a little minion carrying a gun, because their people are allowed to carry guns, right? A little minion carrying a gun who said, sorry, you can't communicate. You can't engage in free speech. This is private property. Wait, what? Private property? ASU, Arkansas State University. This is private property, they told her. This is the mindset of the left when they control the environment top to bottom, left to right, or left to no right, I should say, on campus. They told her, get lost. We don't need your kind here. We don't need opposing views. We have one-handed clapping sessions. We have one-person debate sessions. We don't need to have discussions. We have monologues. 
We tell you the way it is, and then you nod up and down. Yes, sir. No, sir. I got you. And so Dave Ellswick, for two years, has been working on this issue. And he got a copy of legislation from out of state, and he worked with me and others, many others, And the first version of the bill was introduced by the most conservative member of the legislature today, and that's Kim Hammer. Oh, I know I'm going to get the calls. What about me? Okay, guess what? You can tie. How's that? How's about a tie? And then Kim joined the second version with Bob Ballinger. A slightly, slightly more moderate bill, but a very, very good bill. And then we worked on that. Furthermore, to tighten it up, that passed the Senate Judiciary Committee, or no, Education Committee, with no dissent. It passed the Senate with no votes. No, no votes, I should say. It passed the House Committee, I think, with no no votes. And it passed the House with two no votes, and I think two uh, presents. Folks, what do we take away from this? We take away the fact that this is the most conservative legislature in the country right now. I am tired of waiting around for conservative progress. The liberals shovel their coal down your throat when they get in power. We were funding, funding, Solar panel makers, because the leftists take your money and jam their programs down your throat. And we're 75% Republican, the most conservative legislature in the country right now. And we got essentially zero resistance to this fantastic bill. So, Rob, why do you sound like you're complaining? I'm not complaining about this bill. I'm complaining about the next bill. Let's get it done. This legislature needs to start moving faster. Let's get it done. Where's my bill on open carry? Well, well, it's it's the law of the land already, Rob. You know, in Arkansas, open carry. The, we got a we got an appellate court decision, and we've got that that law. Uh, well, Act 746 from a few years ago, and they passed that, and, and we just passed, did they pass it? I think that resolution. So, we, you know, we got a bunch of stuff. And yet we're still debating it. If we're still debating it, pass another law. If we don't have constitutional carry in the state of Arkansas, and they've got it up there in New Hampshire or Vermont or one of those really cold states, what the heck are we doing? This is the most, have I said it? The most conservative legislature in the country. Well, you know, I'm, I'm afraid that, you know, if we, we're going to stir up the pot a little bit. You know, if we start talking about guns, maybe maybe some liberal will sneak in there and he'll, he'll put something in that's going to undermine our gun. Who? Who's going to do that? It's the most conservative legislature in the country. Who's monkeying around? Excuse me. Who's going to monkey around with the system? Nobody. Get it done. It's time for conservatives to step up to the plate and say enough 
is enough with the leftist agendas. No more are we going to be bullied by leftists. We're not going to be bullied by leftists on taxes. We're not going to be bullied by leftists on guns. We're not going to be bullied by leftists on life. And we're certainly not going to be bullied by leftists on identity politics. Oh, you can't talk. You're a conservative. You're white. You're a white conservative and, and, and a male. Uh, you, you've got privilege. Privilege. Right? Right? How many of you right now are, are, are listening to me in your Rolls Royces? In your mansions? In your skyline towers? How many? Call in. Tell me about your wealth and privilege. My parents were immigrants to this country. Legal immigrants. We'll get into that, by the way. Legal immigrants. They came here with $50 in their pockets. Now, $50 was worth more then than it is now, but it wasn't rich. I can tell you that right now. I was born... When I was born, my parents lived in an apartment. They moved into a modest home that never heated well. My mother used to have to open the oven in the morning, turn on the oven and open it. Before we went to school, they heat up the kitchen so we weren't too cold when we ate our cereal. Privilege. They're telling me, I, oh, you're the benefit. You don't even know you're the beneficiary. My mother cut coupons. All the time. Till her death, she cut coupons. We we would not go on vacation so that we could have food and clothing. Privilege. I grew up in privilege, according to the leftists. Why? Because of the color of my skin. By the way, to some people... As you all know, because I talk about it all the time on this show, I'm Jewish. To some people, that's not white enough. But to the leftists, it's lily white. Privilege. I grew up in privilege. That's right. I had a swastika painted on the driveway of my house. Privilege. I grew up in privilege. I went to public schools. That had boards from time to time on the windows because they couldn't afford to immediately replace them. Privilege. I grew up in privilege. So what's the basis for my privilege? The color of my skin. It's not dark enough. I'm not a person of color. I don't call myself a person of color. I don't disagree with that assessment. That's fine. And there are people who are obviously people of color. Great. I'm a Jew. The producer here who who I'm talking to right now, you know, uh, uh, in between the booth. He's a religious Christian. I'm a religious Jew. That's right. We're different. We get along great. We recognize the difference. Absolutely. There are women that work in this office. We can recognize the difference. Are we allowed to say that still? Are we allowed to mention that? Maybe. Perhaps. Privilege. I grew up in privilege. That's right. I think I need I think I need to take a break. And I think the studio does as well. So let's take a break and we'll be back in a minute. 
This is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. Give us a call if you'd like to talk, 501-823-0965. Again, 501-823-0965. We've got a few minutes till we take our bottom of the hour break. And we were talking about identity politics. We're talking about how the accusation of privilege is used as a sword by leftists to shut up conservatives and other people as well. I'm privileged because of the color of my skin. According to the left, uh, I thought I thought we had a word when we judged people based on the color of their skin. What was that word again? Russ, what was that word? Oh, I remember the word. Racist. Racism. That's the word I'm looking for. Racism. I am tired of being hectored at and lectured to by the left. You on the right, you don't understand. We know better. Let us demonstrate to you the many ways that we have made the world a better place. Well, of course, there was the Soviet Union. We made that really good. There's Castro's Cuba. We did a wonderful job down there with our leftist ideology. How about more recently in Venezuela? Look at the success that we brought on there. And then Ocasio-Cortez, is that the name, Russ? AOC? What, 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 what is she like? Share now? She's got an acronym? AOC? AOC's marching around with Bernie. Hey, we're socialists. All right. All right. Guess what? Your party members stood up when the president said this will never be a, a socialist country. Did you see how red-faced, no pun intended, how red-faced Bernie was when they got the close-up on him? When Donald Trump said this will not be a socialist country? Socialists. We will pick your pocket to make us all richer. Oh, that's a great economic philosophy. Now, let's be clear. Conservatives have not asked for zero taxation. They have not sought to shut down the entire notion of a government operation. They have said we should have. We have said, let's be clear. We have said. Government should be limited. For a variety of reasons. One is anything that gets too big has the potential to take control. What's bigger than government now? Nothing. Nothing. Oh, well, well, Amazon is really big and Facebook and they're dangerous and the Twitter is doing it. None of it is as big as the government. Does that mean I hate the government? No, but it's too big. And when it gets big, it's dangerous. You heard that former deputy uh, FBI director? What's it, McCabe? Well, Trump got elected. The next day we thought we started to think of ways that we could take him out of office. If that ain't the deep state, if that ain't big government saying, wait a second, wait a second, you people can think that you have the option to vote. You people can think that you have the option of deciding the outcomes of elections. But it ain't real, according to them. Hillary mocked 
Trump, when he when asked when Trump was asked, would you respect the outcome of the election? And he said, well, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Why? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if there's going to be fraud. I don't know if it's going to be illegitimate. I don't know what's going to happen. I'll let you know. And she said, that's dangerous. It's dangerous. And then the day after he won the election, the leftists, including Hillary, started to spin their yarn. How can we undermine his election? See, this is the difference. The the Clintons, Hillary in particular, frankly, she makes all sorts of, oh, I'm middle of the road. I'm, I'm, I'm the average Joe. I use hot sauce on my wings. And I would respect the election outcome no matter what it is. Those are all words that come out of her mouth. But they have nothing to do with reality. They're lies upon lies upon lies. Where was the fact-checking New York Times then? But now, now they are pursuing a concerted agenda of undermining the president's legitimacy. I'm not talking about opposing his policies. You can oppose his policies all you want from here to to China. I'm talking about a concerted, behind-the-scenes, deep state effort to undo the actions of the duly elected president of the United States. You accepted the results of the election, Hillary? Did you really? You accepted those results. Nonsense. Nonsense. Oh, she said, well, you know, one of the reasons that I lost was because they had a television station dedicated for the last 10 or 20 years to opposing me. Well, that's because you've been running for president for 10 to 20 years. Ever since your husband got elected to office, somehow you were entitled to a position. And you were running for office ever since. Well, guess what? People are going to respond. The press is going to respond. Commentators are going to respond. You know, one of the reasons that Obama won was because he didn't have a long history. That's just a reality in politics. If you have too long a history, they got too much to dig up on you. Well, they were, they were fighting me for 20 years. Don't run for office for 20 years, then they won't fight you for 20 years. I don't know what to tell you. That's, that's your beef? Then all of a sudden, she was the champion of the woman, right? Oh, the reason I didn't get elected was because of the glass ceiling. The gla- what glass ceiling? People, vo- it's, it's the electorate that votes. There's no corporate conspiracy keeping you down. So, what, so you know, you remember it with the comment about the deplorables? So here's what you said. Half the U.S. is a bunch of deplorables, and uh, uh, amongst them are a bunch of people that hate women. Okay, keep telling them that, because that's how you get their vote, right? Tell them they're stupid. Why don't you add to it that they're ugly? Tell them they're privileged when they got to go to work every day, fitting pipes, living in a modest home or a trailer. 
Nothing wrong with any of that, by the way. I grew up in a modest home. We didn't have so many trailers. I, I come from New York originally, as you know. We didn't have so many trailers. But, but I grew up there. Folks, it's intolerable what's going on with the left. Let's take a break for the news, and we'll continue this conversation. This is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. It's Dave's birthday today. Let's wish him a happy birthday. I'm reading the paper, as I do. I've got to do it with a cup of coffee in one hand and, uh, I don't know, a, a vomit bag in the other. Because, let, let me just read you one, one random headline. In the New York Times, I still read the New York Times, folks. I still do it. Trump paves a dangerous path by wielding emergency powers. Now, you can agree or disagree with the use of the emergency powers as he's doing to build the wall. Here's my question for you. When President Obama issued a bunch of executive orders, did the New York Times say he was acting dangerously? Or did they, in fact, support what he was doing? This is what I'm talking about, the inherent leftist bias. We were talking earlier about the leftist bias in in, uh, academia. By the way, that's not accurate. It's not a leftist bias in academia. No, no, I apologize. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I apologize. I said it was a leftist bias in academia. That suggests that there is an opening for conservatives. There is none. There's no bias. It's entirely leftist in the academy. It's entirely leftist when you send your children off to college. They will be indoctrinated by the left. They will be told that you are a racist if you're a conservative. You are a homophobe if you believe in the Bible. You are a misogynist if you don't accept the notion that anybody gets to choose what shower they go to at any time, anywhere, anyhow. So I apologize. I apologize for saying that it has a bias. There's no bias. Your views are not welcome. And they put up a big sign say, please do not enter. They did this, as I mentioned earlier in the show, to Ashlyn Hogarth at ASU. Thank you. We don't need to hear your views here. Conservative views, that's evil. You see, there's free speech, but only of the speech that we like. See, your your words that are coming out of your mouth, that's not speech. Wait, what? What? I, I'm talking, is that? No, 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 no. See, we, you got to get the, the, the leftist to English dictionary out. It says on the left-hand column, because everything's on the left-hand column in the leftist dictionary, after all. It's only the left side of the page. On the left-hand side of the column, it says speech. And then it has the semicolon and the pronunciation with the little upside-down E, etc., right? And on the right side, it says those words that liberals and uh, leftists agree to. That's speech. That's protected by the First Amendment. And then it goes down below and it says antonyms, right? The, the opposite. It gives it, it's a very good dictionary in terms of its breadth. It's not good in terms of its accuracy, but as good as in, in terms of its breadth. And it says antonyms, opposite words. Ideas that come out of the mouths of conservatives. That's not speech. 
And since we tell you it's not speech, well, the First Amendment only protects speech. Not your hate-filled vomit that comes out of your mouth. That's not speech. That's right-wing nonsense. That's not entitled to any protection. And that's how they define away their world. Right? That's how they define away the opposition, I should say. It's not entitled to a conversation. It's not entitled to consideration. It's not entitled to evaluation, and it's not entitled to debate. What for? What for? Why would... I've heard them say it. I would as much want to debate the notion that the earth is flat as I do conservative ideas. I don't need to debate that. This reduction to absurd analogies is what the left does routinely. Your speech is not entitled to protection. If you have a view, by the way, you can't even have a conversation. You know, I had a a really nice guy, a buddy of mine, a friend of a friend. We've become friends as well. And he's a, a, a conservative Christian preacher. And he's also, he works in business, but he works for his uh, church and he's a preacher. And he says, well, Rob, Rob, I know that you're, you're Jewish. You, you don't mind if I ask you some questions about that? I said, of course not. What, why would I mind? He said, I never know what I can ask these days. I never know what's permissible anymore. You can't even ask questions anymore. People are afraid to talk. Because one, the left says to the right, your, your speech is not protected, so we'll punish you if we don't like it. And no matter what comes out of your mouth, you're a racist. You're a racist. And we can call you privileged based on the color of your skin because we can't be racist. Oh, you didn't get to that page in the dictionary yet. You got to flip the page in the leftist dictionary it's nearby. You got to go from speech and you got you to gotta shuffle those pages. Come on, get there. Get there. And then you go to racist. And you know what it says? Anybody on the right who dot, dot, dot. That's it. Anybody on the right. So they're excluded. And you're included all the time. That's it. You're the bad guy. Now, if you would just listen to Hillary and accept the fact that you're deplorable, then get in your car, drive to the polling station, don't pull out your ID because they don't want any ID, go into the voting booth, and instead of voting your conscience, instead of voting your belief, instead of voting your morality... Vote for her because you're deplorable. And the only way to become undeplorable, is that a word? The only way to become undeplorable is to vote for her. She'll save you from your values. She's value free. She'll wipe clean your soul from the values 
And she'll give you peace and quiet and tranquility. This is the problem with you conservatives. You don't understand. Salvation is found at the hand of the leftist who's picking your pocket. Don't you know? Can you sense a little bit of the sarcasm, Russ? Can you, can you pick up on the sarcasm just a bit, right? That's what I'm talking about here. I thought you were just on a rant. It's I just sheer just craziness. They're not, they're not concerned. Hey, Russ, Russ, why don't you just, get, from now on, what I think you should do is you should get an absentee ballot and go put it up on eBay and offer it for free to whatever leftist wants it. You're not entitled to vote. We don't want your view. What do you think of that? I disagree completely. You disagree. My view is whether I win or lose. My Oddly vote enough, Russ is my disagrees. Right. Why? Because we enjoy the franchise. We enjoy the ability to vote for our representatives. We enjoy the right to be heard. We enjoy democracy. Take your fist out of my throat, you leftists. I will speak my mind whether or not you like it. I will stand on my soapbox in the square on the university campus owned by the state. By the way, you know when the university campus is owned by the state? Who owns that? Who owns that? You own that. I own that. And those leftists, by the way, do you know what those administrators who told Ashlyn Hogarth to get her fanny off campus, you know what they make? They make a quarter of a million dollars from your taxpayer dollars. Quarter of a million dollars from your taxpayer dollars. Are you making a quarter of a million dollars? I'm not making a quarter of a million. I'm making taxpayer dollars, by the way. I'm a government employee, too. And I'm pretty damn well paid. But I ain't making no quarter million dollars. No, sir. No, sir. So if you pay someone a quarter of a million dollars, you put them in a fancy building funded by bonds, and you tell them they're in charge of the campus, you know what they think? They think they're in charge of the world. They think they're the boss of you. You ever meet an elementary school principal? I've met many of them. Some of them are very, very nice. But if you ever have a conversation with them, you always pick up on this tone, this sense that they're talking to the sixth grader and they're going to finish the conversation their way. Then look across academia, across this country. And ask them, hey, what do you think about guns on university campuses? We can't have that. Well, but okay, well, why not? Well, because we run those campuses. And we're telling you, that's a bad... Well, you run the campus? Do you pave the streets? No. 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 Do you, uh, do you own the buildings? Well, no. Do you plow the streets and do you... Do you create all of the facilities on that land? Well, no. Who does? The people of the state, whatever state it is, including Arkansas, that pay the taxes for that and pay the bonds that are issued for that. So are you the governor of that campus? Well, we're kind of like the governor. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're like the accountant of the campus. 
You manage the books. You hire the people. You're the financial officer. You're the operating officer. You're not the governor of anything. You're not the mayor of University Town. And so when you start barking out, we don't want guns on campus, who's we? Who is we? I own that campus. You own that campus. Every Arkansan owns that campus. We are we. Not some unelected bureau hack who gets paid a quarter of a million dollars. I'm not interested in their opinion when it comes to carrying guns on campus. They want to tell me how they're going to pay for the new building on on campus? That's fine. I'm with you. I'm with you. Folks, let's, let's take a break now. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about taxes. And then at the top of the hour, Lieutenant Governor Tim Griffin coming to talk with us. And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. As I mentioned before the break, we're going to have the Lieutenant Governor calling in shortly. And before we get to that, I want to talk to you about a different topic, but it's going to tie into the efforts of the Lieutenant Governor. I'm going to talk to you about taxes. Because I can't tell you how many times we all hear, well, we don't pay enough in taxes. We got to pay more in taxes. There's an article in New York Times. The, the headline is, New York millionaires tell Albany, tax us, please. A millionaire walks into state capital and says, raise my taxes, please. This was no joke. I'm reading from the New York Times. The millionaire was Morris Pearl, a former BlackRock executive who is the chairman of Patriotic Millionaires, a group dedicated to pushing for higher taxes taxes on businesses and the ultra-rich. Here's the thing, folks. Nobody passes a law to impose an obligation on themselves. Tax us more? Nonsense! That's a lie. They go to the legislature to say tax the other guy more. Because if you want to pay more in taxes, Mr. Pearl, write the government a check. You can do that right now. Right now. But you're not concerned about paying more in taxes. You want your neighbor to pay more in taxes. Because all of a sudden... All of a sudden, get this, folks, right? Remember, the left, what's the left? Pro-choice, right? They get to decide whatever they want to decide. We're not even going to talk about what they're deciding in that aspect at the moment. They're pro-choice. I'm pro-choice on taxes. How's that? My choice is not to pay any more in taxes. That's right. I agree with the leftists. I'm pro-choice on taxes. Don't cut that clip in half for us. I'm pro-choice on taxes. You want to pay more? Pay more. You want to pay less? Pay less. It's between me and my God and my doctor. Isn't that what they say, Russ? It's between us what I'm going to pay in taxes. How's that for an idea? How's that? I am pro-choice on taxes. Let's do a little bit of math. What do I pay in federal taxes? You know, it's a it's a scale of taxes. It starts at zero, then 15%, then, I don't know, 20, 20 or 20-something, 20 all the way up until, let's say, roughly the mid-30s. So let's say I pay something 
akin to 30% in federal taxes. That's federal income taxes. Don't forget FICA, Social Security and Medicare. I don't make above what the FICA cutoff is, so that's entirely taxed. It's a little less than 10%. I'm going to round up just to make the math easy, but you can round off when we get to the end. You can chop it down a little bit if you think I'm overestimating. That's 40% in taxes. What's state taxes? I think it goes up to around 7%, but it's also segmented. So let's knock it down to five. You see how generous it is? I am. I'm knocking it down. 45% in taxes. Oh, are we done? Yeah, we're done, right? No, we're not done. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding? We haven't even gotten started on how much I'm being taxed. What about real estate pro- uh, property taxes? Oh, well, I rent. I don't have to pay. Nonsense. What do you think? Your landlord is sitting around figuring out what he needs to charge you in rent. And then out of his good graces in his back pocket, he pays the taxes. He takes those taxes and divides it up and adds it into your rent bill. You pay real estate taxes whether or not you know it. They vary, right? Because real estate taxes are based on the value of the property, not on your income, which is really kind of curious, isn't it, right? What I, I don't make a lot of money, but my real estate taxes are $6,000 a year. Sorry, pay up. Don't you know when you buy a house, you ain't buying a house. You're renting it from the state. Because if you don't continue to pay them, they're taking it away. You don't own that house. You're renting it from the state. That's another 5%, folks. I'm sorry. That's another 5%. What are we up to? I, uh, we, we had uh, 30 plus 10 plus 5. Uh, we up to 45 or 50. Let's, let's be generous. 45%. No, we were up to 5 We're up to 50%. 50% of your money gone to government. You ain't paying enough. You see, you see over, in, over in Sweden, you know, they, they, they pay 70% of the money in taxes, you know. Sweden, you know, Sweden's about eight and a half clans, right? It's, it's, it's six large families that live out amongst the icebergs. It's a beautiful country, by the way. I've been there. Absolutely gorgeous. But don't compare us to Sweden. Come on. I, I, I've seen estates in Colorado that are bigger than Sweden. We're up to 50% in tax. Oh, well, so we're done. No, you got to pay that car tax. Because gosh knows when you get that car, we're all a bunch of Uber drivers, so we're earning money to pay the car tax, right? No, but if you bought a car, well, then you must be rich enough to pay a tax on it as well. Right? Huh? What? What? I don't know what percentage that is. I'm going to leave it at 50. I'm not going to add in any money, but I'm going to tell you, don't forget about the car tax. What about sales tax? Sales tax, what's it, 7, 8, 9%, something like that. But it's only of what you spend. And of course, you don't spend all your income. So let's cut it down to five. 55% in taxes we're up to. Over half of your money goes to government. And I'm not done. I'm not done. You stay in a hotel, they've got like 30% taxes if you stay in a hotel. Now, it's not 30% of your income. It's just 30% of that hotel stay. So it's a small percentage out of your overall income. We won't add that one in. Just don't forget about it. You smoke, good luck, baby. If you smoke, I think over half the cost of that package is taxes. What's that? $2 or two minutes? Russ is, 
Two minutes. That's it. We're going to take a break in two minutes. And Russ was giving me a single signal. But you know, folks, I'm not as experienced as Dave when it comes to these things. Over 50% of your income going to government. Oh, so we're done now, though, right? That's enough, right? I mean, we've finished that up, haven't we? No! No! Gas taxes. What about gas? You spend a lot of money on gas, don't you? Gas taxes. That's, that's roughly 10% of what you spend on gas is taxes. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. Oh, well, I'll just cut down on the amount of gas that I use because gosh knows I'm driving around the country on the weekends just seeing the sights. That's what I'm using my car for, not to take my kids to school, not to go to work, not to do things that are necessary. It's all luxury, right? It's all part of that privilege, folks. You're all a bunch of privilege. You're living off the silver spoon. Are we done yet? You ever go out for uh, for dinner? You ever order an alcoholic drink? I think the tax on alcoholic drinks is like 30% or something like that. Again, it's not 30% of your income. It's 30% the cost of that tax, uh, of that drink. That's right. Folks, if you can stick your hand in your pocket and jingle a little bit of change, then... That is what you got left over. And we're going to discuss more about taxes when the lieutenant governor comes on in just a moment. Russ, uh, why don't we have that song saying Steinbach? I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Because I haven't gotten the uh, royalty rights to put your name on there yet. There you go. Sorry to keep you waiting, Lieutenant Governor. We have Tim Griffin on the line here. He's going to talk to uh, all of us great Arkansans. Tim, it's a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks so much. Now, Steinbach, you're a law professor. You know he can't be he can't be changing that without a little authorization. Now. Well, well, you know this whole notion <laughs> of intellectual property rights. Uh, th- th- those are th- they're too complicated for a simple-minded law professor like myself. I, I think you need to probably talk about the fair use doctrine. I don't know. There you go. If if there's it's ever a fair use of somebody else's private property, it's for me. Isn't that sounds kind of like a leftist idea, right? We're yeah, going to camp out on um, Tim Griffin's lawn because I want to. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, you better be careful if you try camping out on my lawn. Amen, brother. Uh, so I am. I'm sort of talking low because my son. And I are getting a book at Barnes and Noble. Fantastic! I'm getting um, <clears throat> the original Dark Money. Nice. Uh, the Federalist, the Federalist Papers. Right. And you know, people talk about Dark Money. Well, I guess that means Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison would not have been able to write the Federalist Papers because they were written anonymously. But in any event, exactly. Who, who wrote that? Wait, wait, let, let's publicize that. You've got to, you've got to find, file a disclosure with the federal government before you publish that book. That's their definition of free speech. Yeah. That is, so anyway, so I got me. A, they've got a real big copy of the Federalist Papers That's here fantastic. on sale for nine ninety eight, and it's big enough and with a with a cover with a lot of sort of room to write. So I'm, I'm getting it from my desk at work, and I'm going to write the original Dark Money right at the top. I love it. 
I absolutely love it. But you're right on, <laughs> of course. You know, it's a, a lot of great. There's a lot of great reading in here. Um, but anyway, um, you know, I I didn't have anything specific to to talk about. I think that um, uh, happy to talk about taxes. One thing I want to talk about on taxes. I know that uh, we had talked about. Um, talking a little bit about this issue and that is the the concept of overall tax burden exactly you know we we focus in as we should on uh certain taxes uh because there are certainly uh certain taxes that have uh, particular impacts in uh consumer and market behavior whether it be a, a sales tax or income tax or whatever but uh, the ultimate measure is not what revenue stream the money comes out of my back pocket, but the overall amount that comes out of my back pocket, right? Amen. Uh, that's important. Um, if I have uh, $100 in my right pocket, back pocket, $100 in my left back pocket, you're not going to say, well, look, if you take my $100 from my left pocket, I'm cool with that. But if you take it from my right pocket, I'm not cool with that. And either way, you don't want $100 leaving your pocket. Exactly. And uh, so I'm a big advocate for reducing the income tax, and uh, which is what – hang on, my son's tapping me on the shoulder. Give me a yes, second. Sir. I'm on the radio, buddy. Um, so um, I'm a big advocate for the governor's uh, push to reduce income tax. I think we do need to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, always keeping in mind the overall tax burden as well. Um, you know, I'll say this about the income tax. A lot of the people who, who have been against reducing income taxes at all, uh, first of all, they're not particularly picky in opposing uh, tax relief. These are usually the people opposing income tax relief are generally the same people who oppose all tax relief. That's right. Um, you know, uh, because they they don't want to have less revenue going into the government and, and more revenue going uh, staying in the private sector and, and individuals' pockets. But in any event, you know, one of the things that a lot of folks who oppose income tax relief miss is they say, well, companies won't come, won't go to a particular state because of a lower or even a non-existent income tax. Mm-hmm. Um, yes and no. Uh, they're missing the point. Uh, the first thing I would say is people, companies are made of human beings. Exactly. Uh, companies are not you know, made of artificial intelligence. And, exactly. No, I mean, they're human beings, right? And so human beings who work for these companies – And many of them, if a company moves to a state, will have to go into that state. That's right. So we have heard, we have heard here in the state from companies who said, hey, um, our people who currently pay X in income tax or overall tax burden or whatever, they aren't big on moving to your state because of your income tax, right? Mm -hmm. We have heard that. That's Mm -hmm. not... I'm it's sure. Not made up. But, but more importantly, who the, the people that pay attention to income tax rates are people who have income. Exactly. 
who have in, who has income? Well, people that people that have income are generally people with that you want to that you want to move to your state, right? They're people with. The only people that pay income taxes that fund the government are people earning money. Those are the people you want in the state. Right. And they're people who have either a certification out of high school or whatever, or they have a uh, two-year degree, or they have a four-year degree, or they have an advanced degree, or they have some kind of workforce training, technical training. They have something some kind of skill set that is allowing them to earn income and therefore they are concerned about the income tax. Those are the people we want here. That's right. We want more of them. That's right. Because it reduces the burdens on other, on the Arkansans living here today. Well, and it allows our, our companies who are already here are the ones moving here to grow. That's right. We currently cannot fill. Mm -hmm. We cannot fill all the job openings in the state. And we definitely, and, and the country's got the same problem. We can't fill all the technical jobs, the STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. We definitely can't fill all of those openings. So who can fill those openings? People with those skill sets. By the way, those are people who are income in other states, and exactly. we want them to come here. So I think that the critics who talk about, well, companies, when they're looking at their bottom line, don't necessarily consider the state's individual income tax. They consider the corporate income tax. Yeah, nonsense. Tax, which, nonsense. Which, by the way, the corporate tax is, is too high also. Right. But, but And we need to reduce that. But all of this is considered because companies are made up of human beings who consider income tax. And so, and if you doubt this, go down and look at uh, Texarkana, even with the income tax exemption that was put there by Clinton, by the way, in 1979, Mm -hmm. uh, if, if I remember correctly, that, even with that, in many ways, that has not allowed our side, in some ways, to compete dollar for dollar with the uh, with the Texas side. What it's allowed some of our people to do is to remain living here but working over there. Mm. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. In fact, there's a study of, out of UALR, um, uh, economist uh, Paco, I think, did um, on the two different sides of Texarkana mm-hmm. and the and what the impact of the po- that the policies have there. And so we always have to be looking um uh, at different ways to compete, compete better. And you know, it's not just Texarkana, Arkansas that competes with Texas. Of course. It's not just West Memphis that competes with Tennessee. Of course. Little Rock competes with Texas. Amen. Pittenville competes with Texas. Absolutely. Little Rock competes with South Carolina. I mean, it, it's, we can't act like we're in the 19th century where if you don't have a shared border, you're somehow not competing in trade. Exactly. That's ridiculous. We're exactly. competing with everybody all the time. And so, you know, we've, we've got to think about that. So, uh, obviously, you can't just reduce taxes. You've got to get further reduction in taxes. You've got to reduce, uh, you've got to reduce cement spending with a more efficient, uh, more value-delivering state government. Uh, that's right. And that's a whole – that's a much longer conversation. But um, in any event, I think I've only got to 20 after. But um, <laughs> That's okay. But but in any event, I wanted to mention that because I, I do think that, that, that the governor's right in pursuing um, 
reduced income tax, no question. Well, I think you're spot on, Tim. And, and, and I think related to your point also is this notion that it's leftists to seem to think that every problem has a government solution. What about this? What about that? And the fact is that government does some things well. No conservative has called for the abolition of government. But conservatives understand that government is not the solution to everything. And life will never be perfect. We don't live in heaven. Well, and let me tell you the biggest issue, I think, um, whether it's state, federal, whatever, whether it's Arkansas, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Timbuktu, um, generally, you know, I've I've been around politics for a long time, and I've never seen an agency, state, federal, or otherwise. When I was on Ways and Means, we had oversight over Social Security Administration and many other uh, federal entities. Uh, I have never seen any government entity come to a hearing and say, just want you to know, we need less or about the same as we did last year. Yeah. Yeah. Never heard that. Yeah. Never heard it. Well, never heard it. It's not part of the culture. The culture, the culture is to grow no matter what. That's right. And here's the thing: an agency can do a really bad job and get more money the next year. That's right. Well, they we need more really money good, to fix the bad can, job we've been doing. They can do a really good job and get more money the next year to as a reward. That's right. So here, here's the thing: we have got gov- We have got to have government wide, federal, state, doesn't matter. You've got to have outcome-based measurements, metrics. You've got to be able to say, we have metrics by which we we judge the the quality, the effectiveness, the efficacy of this agency. We agree on these, and now let's see whether it's doing a good job or not. That's right. That's what we got to have. And uh, the truth is... Most government entities don't have that. And so what what do they do each year? Federal government, same way, and I, I worked to change this when I was there. Um, they start with what they got last year. Right, exactly. Somehow that's presumed to be the right number. Tim, I, I know that you you got to go. Before I let you go, I'm just going to give a comment uh, to you, building on what you're saying, for, for something for you to think about, which is uh, now that the legislature is in session, I see these government agencies traipsing up to the legislature, and that's good. We need to hear from the people on the ground working in the agencies. But they have these people who are quite literally hired people whose job is to lobby the legislature on behalf of the agency. And I'm a little bit concerned that taxpayers are paying for agencies that, as you point out, have a tendency to want to grow and spend to come to the legislature to ask for more money to grow and spend. So yeah, and you know at the federal level that is actually prohibited. Interesting, interesting. Um, and we could get in that's a longer yeah. conversation, right. but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think um, well, well, we'll talk about that next time. But indeed, but, but look, the, all of these type of things ought to be measured on. Um, they ought to be measured by outcomes. You know, someone told me something the other day I, I thought was interesting. I'll just mention it in passing, not to not to just throw something in and leave. But, you know, we've got this productivity funding now for universities or whatever, right. especially based on productivity. That's right. But apparently only 2% of it is based on productivity. Yeah, so it's phony. I mean, that's what I'm, that's what I'm told. Now, right. I, I don't throw that out, but right. uh, I, I was told last week that 98% of the funding is not based on productivity. Yeah. 
only 2%. Yeah, I hear you. And it was supposed to grow over time, but they've frozen at 2%. I don't know. That's something i got to look into. It's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like that, we announced something that's awesome. Exactly. And then when, a few years later, you're like, well, we never really did that. We never really so did. we, we got to take a look at that. we got to take a look at that. Um, I don't know what happened there, but, but I'll look into that. Anyway. Um, Thank you so much, maybe, Tim. Maybe. Thank you, man. We appreciate you. We appreciate your southern accent. We appreciate your great work, and we 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 know you're a great lieutenant governor. And uh, I am going to foretell the future that you're going to be a great governor uh, down the road as well. Thank you again, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thank you, brother. Take care. Let's go to commercial, Russ. This is Robert Steinbuck. As you know, I'm filling in for Dave today. We just had a wonderful conversation, I think, with Tim Griffin who highlighted the point that we built upon or built up to, I should say, uh, prior to our conversation. That is, when we're talking about taxes, I don't care what your state income tax rate is, if that's the only number we're talking about. I don't care what your federal income tax rate is, if that's the only number we're talking about. We are inundated with taxes. Everywhere we turn, we're paying taxes. And as we discussed Oh, over half an hour ago at this point, we pay well over half the money that we earn back to the government. Now, people like Elizabeth Warren say, if it wasn't for the government building those roads, you wouldn't have been able to earn all that money. Really? Really? I'm not saying government doesn't do good. I'm not saying we don't need those roads. And I'm not saying I don't need to go to work with the use of government benefits, meaning roads, etc. But don't tell me that all of my efforts are for naught. Don't tell me the years that I, for example, went to high school and college and law school and graduate school, also that I could do a good job at being an educator. That has nothing to do with what I earn. It's all because of big government feeding me, clothing me, housing. Wait, wait, wait a second. They didn't feed me. They didn't clothe me. They didn't house me. My parents did that. And they worked their backs off doing it, by the way. Both my parents worked for most of their lives but to put all three of their children through college. Don't tell me government did that for me. No, thank you. I don't deny that the government provides some benefits. As I said throughout today's discussion, no conservative claims that there should be no government. But every conservative recognizes that government can't do it all, that we're not living in a utopia, we will never live in a utopia, we'll never live in a Green New Deal, or a Purple New Deal, or a Rainbow New Deal, or a Unicorn New Deal. We live in reality where there's benefit and hardship, where there's good and there's bad, and where you need to at least in part pull yourself up by your bootstraps and take some, some responsibility for the direction of your life. We have safety nets. We should have safety nets. But we are not, as the original version of the Green New Deal 
from Ocasio-Cortez said, we will provide you with an income if you can't earn one or if you don't want to work. If you don't want to work, we will give you money, according to the leftists. No, thank you. If you can work and you don't, suck it up. As I've said on this show before, grow a pair of whatever you're going to grow of. Grow in whatever, whatever the right preposition is there. I don't care if you're a man or woman, you're one, you identify as another, whatever you want. Grow a pair or buy a pair. Because if you can work and you're not, don't come looking for me to pay your way. I'm not interested in that. No, sir. No, sir. This is the problem. The left believes in the nanny state. The left believes that you... owe everything to the government and the government will take care of you whenever you want however you want you're the government's child the government's your parent yes sir no sir may I have another that's what the left believes that's the problem with big government and leftist ideology We've seen across this world the dismal failure of that perspective. The Soviet Union went bankrupt. It went absolutely, literally bankrupt. They ran out of other people's money to spend. And the left wants to do the same thing to America. They don't want to run out of money. They just can't do basic mathematics. They think the more we tax you, the more money we have. Right, because if you're going to be taxed, gosh knows, you're going to continue working at the same level and send it all to the government. What's wrong with that idea? I think it's time for some news. This is Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave. We just had a very nice conversation with the Lieutenant Governor. Coming uh, at the top of the hour will be Rick Peltz Steele, a law professor at the University of Massachusetts, formerly a law professor here in Arkansas. He's an expert on the on the Constitution. He's an expert on freedom of information. He's an expert on the First Amendment and an expert on anything else we want to ask him about. So I look forward to that conversation. In the meantime, we have some news to pick up on. Uh, there's an article in the New York Times. That's right, folks. I'm still reading the New York Times. An article in New York Times, and it says, Air travelers who want to will soon be able to choose a gender option other than male or female when buying their tickets. The new undisclosed or unspecified options are meant to make things easier for travelers and airlines as a growing number of local, state, and national governments issue identification documents with alternative gender choices, according to Airlines for America, a trade group that represents airline carriers. Let's talk about this for a moment because, and, and I always say this when I'm on Dave's show because I think we need to be mindful of it and that sometimes perhaps we're not. There are people of all different stripes, I don't mean that literally perhaps because these days you never know. They make different choices in their lives. You can agree with a choice, you can disagree with a choice, you can have no opinion on the choice. 
You can say it's a choice. You can say it's not a choice. Whatever it may be. There are different people in this world. And we need to respect everybody. You can say, I don't agree with what that person does or thinks or says. But we shouldn't treat that human being as anything other than a human being. We shouldn't treat them as less than a human being. We shouldn't look down upon them for what they do, what they say, what they are in, in the terms of, uh, of these issues that we're talking about. Because I think that has been a risk. I think that has been an issue. So you don't have to buy into it. You don't have to agree with it. You've heard my opinions already and I'm going to share them again today. But let's be, treat everybody with the, the respect every human being deserves. Now, why do we put down the sex when you're filling out a form to buy a ticket? It's for security reasons, that's why. Why do we still have sex-based bathrooms for public bathrooms? For privacy and safety issues. That's why. And so when someone says, I was born a male biologically, but I view myself as a female. Okay. In terms of respect, you're a human being. I respect you. I really do. But I don't want that person taking a shower or using the public facilities, bathroom facilities, with a 12-year-old girl who doesn't want to be in that context. I think that's fair. I think that respects the privacy of the 12-year-old girl, the interests of the 12-year-old girl. And so we have a clash here. And what do we do with that clash? Well, we try to resolve it. But we don't do like the leftists have always tried to do and most demonstrably during the Obama administration, try to cram those ideas down our throat. If you don't accept their view that they were propagating just before they left office, that the person that I described, someone born biologically a male who views him or herself as a female and wants to use a female shower and bathroom with uh, 12-year-old junior high school students, uh, that's a conundrum, but not one that needs to be absorbed by the 12-year-old girl. And the Obama administration said otherwise. They said, hey, 12-year-old girl, you're a racist, you're a sexist, you're a homophobe if you don't simply allow that to happen. I'm sorry, I don't see how that's right. I don't see how that's fair. I don't see how the interests of the person who describes him or herself uh, as female, but who was born biologically male, those interests trump the privacy interests of that 12-year-old girl. I don't see it. I'm sorry. But that doesn't mean I don't respect And love that other human being as a human being. I do. I really do. Come to my synagogue. Come to my church. Come to my home. Does that surprise you? Sorry. That's a human being. 
I respect that individual. But stop trying to cram your views down my throat. And that's what the Obama administration was all about. And if you didn't do what they said, wait for it. Wait for it. You know it's coming. You're an ist. You're a racist. You're a homophobe. You're a messiah. I don't care which one it is anymore. I'm tired of hearing it. I'm not saying there's no such thing as bad people with misogynist, racist, homophobic views. But I ain't it. And I just shared my view. And that view gets called those names. That view gets called those names because the left only has a defense of name calling. Get into a discussion with me, hey, Mr. Leftist. Tell me why my 12-year-old daughter has to be put in that environment to justify your view of the world. Well, that guy, that person is entitled to, yeah, maybe, sure. So figure some way around it where my 12-year-old daughter doesn't have to go to a changing room with someone who pulls down his pants and looks a hell of a lot like a man. You figure it out. You want the resolution and you don't like my resolution? You figure it out. You know, what is it? 70 years ago, give or take, we did away with separate bathrooms for blacks and whites. Because that was racist. And that was wrong. And it should have been eliminated far before then. That was a progressive time in this country. That was an innovative time in this country. We saw a bright future in this country. And yet, what did we not change? We did not change male and female on the bathroom. Boys and girls on the bathroom. Those doors are still labeled to this day the same way. Why is that all of a sudden, 70 years later, that was wrong. We should have just taken all the labels off. No, thank you. No, thank you. Oh, well, you're, you know, Rob, you're living in, in an antiquated time. You know, we, we, don't, we don't care about those things anymore. Those things don't matter. To, they matter to plenty of people, folks. And before you start your name calling again, they matter. Because people are allowed to have certain expectations of privacy, certain expectations of reality, certain expectations of what is part of the public realm and what's not part of the public realm. And showers and changing rooms and toilets, those are not part of the public realm. And within that private and semi-private realm, we're entitled to restrict entry from other people. That's right. That doesn't make us knuckle draggers. That makes us steeped in reality. And so when I see this article, listen, United Airlines can can put down uh, uh, tomato, orange, and pineapple for choices when it comes to people's sex slash gender. I don't care. 
I don't run their business. Put down nothing. But here's the thing, folks. They don't put down nothing. They put down sex. But why are you collecting that information? Is it for, are you selling them stuff after the fact? Well, then if that's the case, don't ask it. Mind your own business. Or is it for security? I don't know. I know historically it's been for security. That's for sure. And if historically it's been for security and you let people opt out, well, then you've opt out of some level of security. But if you don't need it for security and you can't figure out what categories to put, get rid of it all. Eliminate it all. The driver's license has the color of my hair, which has changed, folks. It used to be black. It's not so black anymore. It's pretty gray. Has the color of my eyes. It has my height. It has, I think it has my weight. I'm not sure about that. I know it has my height. Can I go in to the motor vehicles and get a new license and say I'm six foot four? By the way, folks, I'm five nine, maybe five ten on a good day with a nice pair of dress shoes on. Can I go into motor vehicles and say I'm six four? And the guy or woman sitting behind that desk says, "Sir." I'm not, I'm not sure you're 6'4". I'm 6'4 in my head. I'm 6'4 because I said I'm 6'4". There is no reality. Height is subjective. I was born 6'4". Don't tell me what my height is. I know what my height is. 6'4". You think they'll let me put that down? And if not, why not? Why is my height on the driver's license? Is it so that we can make sure that that is in fact me on that driver's license? So that if someone, if I hand my driver's license off to someone or if someone steals my driver's license, they can't pretend that they're me? Maybe they put on some dark glasses like I wear, the, the horn-rimmed glasses. They, they, they powder their black hair so that it's gray like mine and they might have some appearance of me but then they stand up and they're six four and i'm five ten five nine whatever and the cop says well <laughs> mr steinbuck i don't think you're mr steinbuck that height is on there for security reasons it's for identification reasons maybe we shouldn't identify by sex at all maybe it's too complicated maybe maybe then get rid of it all Stop with these half measures. By the way, I still don't think that a 12-year-old girl should be subjected to having against her choice going to a shower with someone born a male and still appearing as such biologically. Think about that as we take a break. And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. I want to continue to talk to you about the news the bias of the news and how everything that you see and read is infected with this problem. The mainstream media is, is only slightly less left than the academy. By the academy, I mean higher education. I mean universities. We have all sorts of fancy names, don't we? I get stuck in that language sometimes. All sorts of fancy names for a bunch of leftists congregating around this country 
indoctrinating our children to leftist ideology. The academy, the, the, the university professor, professoriate, leftists. That's what we're talking about, leftists. Here's an, just an example. They're talking about Trump's, this is the title, Trump's rationale for a national emergency is based on false or misleading claims. Listen to this quote from the, from the article. Miss Pelosi jokingly said that she would agree to give Mr. Trump $1 for his border wall. That statement is true. You know, they asked her, how much would you agree to give for the wall? Would you agree to a dollar? And she, she said, oh, a dollar? I'd, I'd do a dollar. I got that. That was a joke, meaning a dollar is inconsequential, right? If you get pull out a dollar to somebody who's trying to take money from you and you give them the dollar, you don't really feel that you've lost anything. It's a dollar. So that was joking. So, so, so Rob, what's, Rob, what's the problem? Well, you read us a true statement and you're telling us the media is biased. What, what's your problem? Here's the problem. Wait for it. Wait for it, folks. Here's the problem. When Donald Trump stands up in the public... When he's running for president and says, what happened to Hillary's emails? 30,000 emails have disappeared. What happened to those emails? And then he says, mockingly, hey, Russia, everybody says that you're hacking all this stuff. Maybe you can find the 30,000 emails. If you're doing everything that the press is claiming or the left is claiming you're doing, and maybe they are hacking, and they did hack. We know that. To be to be clear, they hacked the, the, the DNC. Maybe you could find Hillary's emails. Now, why was that not a joke, according to the press? First of all, they don't have those emails, because you and I and he and everybody who pays attention knows Hillary burned the emails! She purged the emails. Those emails are nowhere. She kept her own private basement server, ran her government business out of her backyard, violated the obligations that give rise to the Freedom of Information Act so that she could hide the truth from the American public. And the president pointed that out. He knew that nobody, including the Russians, including WikiLeaks, had those emails because she burned them. She torched them. She bleached them. Don't you remember when she mockingly said, when someone said, well, did you, wa- did you wipe that server? You, like with a cloth? I know virtually nothing about computers, and I know what wiping a server means. I don't know how to do it. But I know what it means. And she's snarky. Like with a cloth. Oh, aren't you clever? Aren't you clever? And you wonder why you lost the presidency. It's brilliant insights like that. So he says, for everybody to hear on national television, hey, Russia, if you can find those non-existent emails... Because apparently you've been able to steal emails. Maybe you shouldn't make light of that. That could be a criticism, not a significant one as far as I'm concerned. But maybe you think you shouldn't make light of it. But what you can't say is that he was directing the Russians. Are you kidding me? 
If you're operating covertly with somebody else, the Russians, I don't care who it is, you don't go on national television and tell them to do something. So why was that not joking? Why didn't the New York Times report that Donald Trump mockingly, jokingly, that's the exact word from today's paper, jokingly asked for the Russians to go find Hillary's bleached emails. Why? Media bias. That's why. That's why. I believe in a free press. I believe that the media does good. I believe even in leftist media circles, they can do good and do good. But they also do harm. They do harm when they infect journalism with leftist political ideology. I don't mean to suggest that reporters should be able to write stories devoid of their personal beliefs. There's only so much we can ask of human beings. Some of it will seep in, and they are overwhelmingly leftist. But this is not that. This is agenda-driven reporting. This is reporting designed to produce an outcome. What outcome? The destruction of the presidency for Donald Trump. That's the outcome they're looking for because they didn't believe it could happen. I remember watching uh, Colbert. I think he was on a special on Showtime on election night. And he had dancing clowns and all sorts of comedic acts. Why? Because it's easy to be funny when you think your candidate's going to win. And then all of a sudden the polls started, the results started to come in. And they had those two guys, I forget their names, these kind of political reporters, but leftist political reporters. And what did they do? They were crying. They were crying at the end. Think about that when you listen to the news. This is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today as he justifiably enjoys his birthday at home. We have on the phone for the next hour a good friend and colleague of mine, Rick Peltz-Steele. Rick is a law professor at the University of Massachusetts. He is an expert in the First Amendment. He's an expert in the U.S. Constitution. He's an expert on anything we want to ask him about. So with that introduction, Rick, welcome to the show. Thanks, Rob. It's a pleasure to be with you. Rick, let's dive right into it. You know, we've talked a lot, you and I, that is, about this uh, crisis that I see in America in general and this crisis in academia, that is, in university education of identity politics. And it's a crisis not because you and I work in this environment, right, because it's the, in that environment of employees – is not big enough to make it a crisis. The crisis is that that environment is what is educating all of our young children. That environment has become an indoctrination center of the left and an indoctrination into identity politics. That is, it's not what you say, it's not your character, it's your color, it's your gender, 
It happens to be where you were born. Those unchangeable factors are what make you right or wrong or give you the ability to speak or put you in the position of having, as that senator from Hawaii said, shut up, men. We don't need to hear from you. Just shut up. So this is an environment in which we are, not you and I, but the overwhelming leftists in higher education are indoctrinating our children. That's why this is a crisis. And I wanted to talk to you about the latest example of this crisis, this notion of diversity statements. What is Tell, tell the audience, tell me, what exactly that means. This is astounding, Rob, and I'm, I'm really glad you approached it from that perspective because I want to tell you, I want, I want the, uh, your listeners, Dave's listeners, to know that, you know, I'm not, I'm not just a, a stuffy academic on this, but I'm a parent, too, and I pay a lot of money and, and uh, still borrow more money for my child to be in college. And so it's important to me as a parent that this, you know, I'm not paying for indoctrination camp. I'm, I'm paying for a university education. And this, uh, this new trend is very alarming. Um, this is a, a mo- most recently I saw this in a chronicle of higher education. It's been reported elsewhere uh, that we've got colleges asking faculty now, uh, first started with hiring, first starting at hiring, asking faculty who would apply to the institution to submit a statement along with the application about how your work would advance diversity, equity, and inclusion. And this is, could be uh, one or two pages. So this isn't just a, a little one-sentence statement. Um, and, and now this is turning up not just on the front end in the hiring, but turning up in tenure and promotion processes more and more. So... Uh, you might already be working at a college. Faculty might already be there and now being asked, well, if you want to stay here, we're going to have to read your statement about how your work is fostering diversity, equity, and inclusion, the magic words. Wait a second, Dave. Dave, Rick, I'm a little confused here. Let's say I'm an expert on bankruptcy law. (laughs) One exactly am I supposed to be writing about diver- now, wait, wait a second. So, what, what you here's what it must mean. Tell me if I'm wrong, Rick. It must mean <laughs> simply that I give a statement to say I treat everybody alike. I treat everybody fairly. I don't engage in in misogyny, in racism, and homophobia. Everybody in my class gets equal treatment. Now, I can see no objection to that. That must be what that statement is, right, Rick? Is it? Isn't that what it's about? Right. You know, well, it's funny you should ask, Rob, because we can actually look back it up and just say that I'm going to write whatever they want me to write. Like, like never mind uh, what I do or what I teach or what I believe. I just want to know what are they looking for? And it turns out that uh, no one really knows because they, there's no guidance provided in these statements. And, and there's even a, a pushback coming from the left within the academy of academics who are, who are having anxiety over what this means because they don't know what it means. Um, and so you start from a position of, uh, please provide this statement about these, these magic words, and we're not going to tell you what we're looking for. Um, so I, I don't know if that means read our minds. 
Now, that leads into as as you suggest. I'm I, I want to, you know, I want to know what the what the job is. What do you want? What do you need from me? And you know, and I, and I approach it. So I teach in a you know a classroom with seventy uh, some students in the room. And I'll tell you, my approach is I want every one of them to succeed. Absolutely. And I just have you know I have a feeling and I could be wrong. I have a feeling that that's not what they want when they say mm-hmm. what advanced diversity, equity, mm-hmm. inclusion. Oh, I'll tell you what they want. I'll tell you what they want, Rick. Uh, They don't want a statement that says you treat people equally. Equal treatment is not the the goal. Equal outcome is the goal. That's the difference. Equal outcome. How many Hispanics, how many African Americans, how many Asians, how many whites, how many men, and how many women got A's? Because they're better equal to their representation in the population, because anything else is discrimination, Rick. That's what it means. And it's, you know, and that's, and that's, of course, what's alarming here. I mean, there's a, there's a statement in here, supporters of, uh, of these statements say, uh, according to the Chronicle reporting, that there's that these statements are a way to ensure that, first off, that scholars of color receive credit for often invisible labor, like mentoring underrepresented students and serving regularly on committees. Wait wait a second. Wait a second. You've never mentored a minority student or served on a committee? Of course. And and right. And that's exactly, you know, I I want, of course, I want scholars, all scholars of color, of not color, to receive credit. For their labor, that, I want that. But but is it, um, it, it does it does it have to be a minority scholar, a minority professor who's a mentor to a minority student? I've mentored minority well, students; they seem very precisely. pleased with my mentoring. It, is that no good? Am I going to burst into flames? Are they going to burst into flames? Is that like matter and antimatter from Star Trek? We can't meet together? (laughs) Separate? Wait a second. Are you telling me we need to have segregated mentoring now? That's And that's exactly my fears. You know, if I think about, well, what if I write this? When I'm called on to write such a statement, what will I write? And, And, you know, my fear is that, well, as I write the statement and I say, this is this is how I helped. Uh, this is what I did. That that's just not going to be as valuable from the perspective of the reviewer as the person, uh, the, the the scholar of color who writes. This is what I did, um, and I don't understand why. Because my intentions are just as valid, and my work is just as valid, and I want to help just as much. Um, so I'm not sure it matters. Uh, uh, wh- 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 why this difference? Um, you know, moreover, as I said, I want all my students to succeed. I, I'm trying uh, to mentor everyone who comes to me. I don't have a litmus test at the door to decide whether the student deserves my help. Uh, it's my student. That's all I need to know. And so I'm a, a, a little fuzzy on why there would be this different value placed on, on these uh, different efforts. Is it not, however, as I suspect and as I suggest, Really a method to have quotas. Really a method to say, we don't care about opportunity. We, we care about outcome. We care that we have X number of each group represented in whatever category we have. Professors, students, students with A's and B's and C's. 
because anything else is inherently racist. Isn't that really what the claim is? Sure, sure. And then, you know, and that truth comes comes through, um, you know, in some of the rationales for these statements. So so colleges say, well, you know, we need this statement. Uh, the article says uh, colleges signal to uh, others elsewhere they're trying to diversify their faculties. This is a signaling device. Right? Mm-hmm. It's not really about helping students. It's signaling. It's trying to check boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, and that's, you know, they, they, they want to... Uh, Pass the test to be to be whatever the fashion is today. It's called politically correct or whatever it's called. Um, and it's you know I, I, I wish it were about really helping, you know. But but uh, I, I don't buy that for a second. Rick, tell us about what happened in California. It's got to be a decade ago, right? With a prop, I don't know what was it. I don't even remember the the number of the prop. The prop that did oh, away. No, nor I. Right. The the proposition, yeah. meaning it was voted on by the entire citizenry that did away with race based preferences. Can you tell us a little about what happened there and, and what the results? Remember, California is a leftist state. It's a liberal state. It's probably I think it's a, undoubtedly the most liberal state. And they did away with race based preferences there in academia in hiring outside of academia throughout the state how did how did that happen and what are the results has a state collapsed as a function of, of <laughs> essentially colorblindness right that's a that's a form of colorblindness saying we value you and judge you by your quality by your merit and not by your color H- how did that happen and, and what are the results well, Rob, I, honestly, I have to tell you, I'm not an expert on that on mm-hmm. the California proposition and the aftermath. So you would know better than I. I can I can tell you recently that I've seen that it wasn't really done. That, mm-hmm. that the colleges, the the, the uh, folks inside academics, managed to employ preferences anyway, despite the law. So they're so so, so they're breaking the law. For, uh, and I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's pretty clear. Right? They're breaking the law. Um, so, so it's hard to you know it's hard to say what the what the outcome really was. Uh, go on. I'm sorry. No, no, no. By all means, here's what I'm confused about: California, a liberal state, enacted this policy to do away with preferential treatment, uh, as you point out. It has not been 100% effective because there are so many leftists in that state that they're openly violating the law that has been enacted by the will of the people. But put aside the fact that they're, uh, that they're doing that. Let's think about this question as we go to a commercial break, and then we'll pick up with this question. Why haven't we done that in Arkansas? And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. We have on the line with us. Noted law professor, noted by me at least, uh, Rick Peltz-Steele. Rick, we have been talking about really this upside-down notion that we have wherein professors in academia have to write statements, essentially – the, the, the reduction of what we've analyzed is essentially telling the, the leftist authoritarian leaders in academia how they will produce 
equal outcomes based on race, gender, etc. And that is not, that is by definition the opposite of a merit-based system, of course. And of course, it's contrary, right, to even, we know the the famous uh, statement uh, by um, Martin Luther King, and I don't remember the exact words, but it's essentially that you're not going to judge someone by the color of their skin, but by the quality of their character. And we're not allowed to say that even, right? You know, I can, I can see the letters being written already. How dare you, as a conservative, quote Martin Luther King? My father, by the way, when he came to this country shortly thereafter, he traveled in the South, unaware of the divided bathrooms, and protested when he was unable to go into the bathrooms uh, lab- labeled as such as colored, the black only, or the, I wouldn't, they are black only but it wasn't as if it was a privilege it was to segregate blacks from whites uh, and the whites bathrooms of course were better and nicer and cleaner etc it was uh, a degradation uh, to blacks and my father protested that but 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 never mind that never mind that that uh, i did not grow up with a silver spoon in my mouth i'm white so inherently i'm privileged and I'm not allowed to express the notion, apparently, that we should not be judging people by the color of their skin. Be that color of color, be that color some color of beige to brown, or be that color what we call white. It's not quite white, but we can. it's fine that we call it that, right? Uh, so apparently, I'm not allowed to make that statement. Uh, you're not allowed to make that statement. Tell us about the privilege in which you grew up. <laughs> no, I'm curious. I'm curious. <laughs> you know, I've talked about this before, and, um, you know, I just think it's it's remarkable. There is this assumption that uh, all, uh, you know, of course, race is all that matters, and that's what dictates, um, uh, you, you know, your, what you're entitled to now. And in, indeed, you know, I, I'm not going to say I have. Goodness, I had very, I did have privileges. You know, I was fortunate in many ways. I grew up, uh, you know, with a, uh, you know, a single mother who worked around the clock, uh, the so-called latchkey kid, you know, letting myself in at home and uh, and looking after myself most of the time, despite having a, a great parent who cared about me very much. Um, uh, you know, it was public school. Uh, uh, that was... Uh, well, oh, you're Richie Rich. You're like the comic book, isn't it? Was isn't that what the <laughs> Richie Rich, a comic book yeah. character, is essentially based on? That I, kid I, would come home to I, a, I, to an no, apartment, I, I lock worked, himself yeah. in. He was the child of a single parent, uh, and he would make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Isn't that the story the of I Richie remember, Rich? Right? That's the way I remember the comic book. Right? Yeah, and I, and I, I worked since before the state of Maryland would allow me to <laughs> to, to earn extra money. And I went to went to the four year college I went to because I got a scholarship. I wouldn't have been able to go there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh well, but you must have gotten that scholarship uh, either because you were a legacy, right? Um, you must have had years and years of family history at that college, or they wanted you uh, because they obviously had a preference uh, for uh, people of your economic strata. Uh, isn't that the case? Isn't that what happened <laughs> when you went to college? That's something I was unaware of. Mm. I, I, I got a merit, merit-based uh, scholarship um, for none of the above. 
None and of the above. Interesting. In fact, I was I was uh, even told that that I did not get initially the scholarship I applied to because that had to be given out based on a preference. And wait, wait, uh, a racial preference? A I was gender actually. Oh, a gender so preference. Now, oh, I see. Gender. Now, in, now, in fairness, the school that I went to was uh, formerly an all male school and was trying to uh, it recently. Uh, uh, opened to, to men and women and was trying to boost its its uh, female enrollment. So right, and so you had to carry the burden, right? That seems fair. They're opening uh, up the uh, school, and you uh, had to carry the burden. Right, nevertheless, some of that money was diverted to that purpose, right? And that was not a merit-based purpose. That was a, that was a preference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you obviously had been part of the problem of discrimination against women in the American society. And so you should bear that burden and your failure to recognize that must be again, a function of your white privilege, the blindness of privilege. That's right. Indeed. That's right. It's really remarkable how we have turned this world on its head, uh, where, uh, we are judging you and me and other people based on the color of their skin, and we're not allowed to say it. Well, but and I- we should mention, Rob, that, that you know these these preference statements we've been talking about now in connection with academics, uh, with the concern that that, that hold that thought. Visited. Let me let me interrupt. Sure. Hold that thought. We're going to go to the news. Sure. This is Robert Steinbuck back with you. We're talking with Rick Pelt Steele, professor of law at the University of Massachusetts. Rick. This discussion that we're having, the mainstream media has labeled this discussion as white grievance culture. They claim that you, you Rick Peltz, are desperately bemoaning the the disappearance of the advantages you've had all your life with that silver spoon in your mouth, and now you're just griping over a level playing field, or at least the leveling of the playing field so that everybody can be treated fairly. What say you to that? You know, what's really uh, troubling about that is that this is, this is uh, you know, the, so as you say, we're out looking at outcomes, trying to level things from the outcome perspective. And what's, what's so troubling is that it, it was historically, it was the left that championed um, equal equality of opportunity, and 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 treating everyone the same. As you you had the quote from Martin Luther King earlier, and that's that's what I was schooled on. I I believe in those values. I believe in equality of opportunity. As we talked about earlier, want all my students to succeed, no matter what color, gender, or flavor they are. Um, and it's just so insulting to be told that that's not right anymore. That's not right. You're supposed to have preferences now. You're supposed to pick and choose winners based on our idea of social engineering and who should be ahead and who deserves more. Um, that's very frustrating. But, but Rick, is it not fair to say that you've enjoyed the benefits of, mm. of racist society that you grew up in that has geared the benefits of this country to you? And now it's time yeah. for you to step back and share in the abundance that you've been overwhelmed with throughout your life. Yeah, you know what I, I'm reminded of, Rob? I spent, I lived in Arkansas for 
uh, 13 and a half years before I moved up here to Massachusetts. And when I was there in Arkansas, I drove all over the state. I, I enjoy hiking. I hiked every trail, every place I could find all over that state. And I saw a lot of poverty, a lot of poor people, a um, lot of uh, uh, working people struggling all over the place. And uh, and I'll tell you, there are. There are, especially in the eastern part of Arkansas, there are disproportionately black communities that are hurting, um, people uh, working hard and not getting anywhere. But uh, I found that poverty was not uh, uh, race discriminatory. You know, it, Indeed. It, the, the lack of opportunity for people doesn't discriminate based on race. Indeed. And, and uh, it's, it's just... Uh, uh, shocking to me to think that we would help one person and not another because of color of skin. Um, Indeed, you know it, it makes no sense. And and I think you know I think in a in, in a in a place like Arkansas, you you can really understand that that's you know that, that these are universal problems. Now, if if we help people and disproportionately that helps uh, a a black community, great. Great. I don't care. Great. I, I'm not, if they I'm disproportionately not suffer that. economically, then they'll disproportionately benefit by a rising tide. Precisely. And, and you know, you talked about educational opportunity in California earlier. You know, I, I looked up the number because we couldn't remember it. Prop 209 was the one. Oh, right. You know, right. Uh, uh, you know what? More minorities did go into California schools after Prop 209. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, 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 did it did it work? I who knows? But you know what? If you change the educational opportunity for everyone, then you're going to see a greater representation a representation of minorities in the education system that looks more like in the population. Not because you picked and chose and you selected your admissions, but because you because all boats rose, as you say. Right. Um, and, and that's great. Right? Why would we fight against that? Well, let me ask you this, Rick. If you were to apply to college today, or if you're working at, let's say, a different university, so that we're not talking about yours, because gosh knows, you're not allowed to talk about your workplace. You don't have any First Amendment when it comes to your workplace. So if you were working at a a different university, a private university, or if you were applying to college today, you think that you would have a, a tougher time, the same level of difficulty, or it'd be less difficult for you to get into that school oh, wow. or for you to get a promotion as a professor at Harvard if you were you, if you were you but a woman, if you were you but a woman and a minority, and if you were you and just a minority, a male minority. Any combination. <laughs> pick any one of those. You don't have to answer that's all of them, lot, but pick some of, of them. Options, that's a I, lot of I'm options. I'm not sure which box to tick. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Maybe if you tick yeah. two, it would change the outcome even more. I'm just saying. Or, or maybe if I chose what to write on my bar card, right? Right. Right. Um, yeah, you know, so so it's, you know, I'm glad you say that because I, I wanted to make the point just before the break that that we've been talking about this, this uh, preferences in terms of academics. And we have, you know, we've emphasized that this is, you know, we worry about this being visited on the students, on the young people. Uh, and, and me as a parent, especially, I worry about that. Uh, it's not just about academics and our little world. But also, let's remember that you, you spoke back on this, sh- on this show back in December about these preference statements on applications mm-hmm. to college. 
and that was that was something we saw back in December uh, as a growing trend. So we're we're screening now on both ends. You've got the the faculty being screened to make sure they pass the political litmus test that they check the right boxes, the correct boxes, I should say, uh, and and the students. So you know, I I'd, I'd have to say that if I didn't identify correctly in whatever boxes you're giving me to choose from, then it would be harder today. Uh, whether I'm going to school, whether I'm applying for a job as an academic, and uh, meaning, you know, I, if you I, checked I, any other box except what you are, which happens to be a white male, that you would have more preferences in admissions or pro- hiring and promotion. Yeah, you know, I, I want to be skeptical of that conclusion, but it's hard to avoid it mm-hmm. because the the fact is uh, that's. Uh, the, the, the white male boxes, you say, there's no box. There's no box. That's just the right. That's the lack of a box. That's right. And I and so if, if preferences are driven by the boxes, then I guess I'm not getting any. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, that's so I mean I, that's I, why you're I can't refute it. That that's why you're the the beneficiary of privilege. Wait, what? Indeed. Is that not circular logic? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, does it? No, indeed. Indeed. This is this is the ongoing problem that we see. And this is not a problem. This is not a discussion that you and I are having as two professors uh, at happens to be public universities. That doesn't much matter, public or private, uh, that the audience could care less about. It matters. And I think they know it matters because if we're having this this discussion about the lack of diversity of thought that everybody's got to be a leftist. Everybody, everybody's got to believe that the outcomes matter. Everybody believes that the quality of the education is based on the, the non-quality, the non-merit-based factors of the professor. What your gender is, what your color is, what your preference is, rather than how smart and able a teacher Rick Peltz Steele is. Well, that affects everyone because everyone is sending their children to high school, many of them to college, some of them to law school. So this affects our whole population. That's why this is so significant. Not because we happen to be stuck in uh, leftist environments in which our views are shouted down or as i quite literally heard in different environments across this country booed down by other leftist academics uh so uh it's just this is this is what the left has engineered they've engineered a system of re-education camps much like pol pot much like cambodia the only difference is you're not starving in the process but it, there's only one view, and it's the right view, but right doesn't mean conservative. Right means left. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me tell you a, a statistic, Rob. Please. That I, I was reading about, called, called up this table to learn more data. $1.45 million in political contributions from uh, the University of Texas, that is people affiliated with the University of Texas, 1.45 million, 1.25 of that to Democrats. And that's in Texas. Million, that's that's in Texas. Texas. All right. So I want to say, do you think that is how the people of Texas think? 
Is that a reflection of the population? Really? Right. So this is what the left engineers, right? The left engineers a system by which over the long term, they will indoctrinate the elite class. And then you see the so-called elite class, right? Uh, The educated class. And by educated means indoctrinated class. And then they say, we know better than you. You're dumb. You're a deplorable. You're not educated. You didn't vote for me, me, Hillary, because you're dumb. Because you're a redneck. That's what she says. Because you're a misogynist. Because you hate women. But if you were smarter and better and re-educated in our left-wing re-education camps, then you would have voted for me. That's what she says. Uh, You know, Rob, I I taught uh, in class the other day an opinion of Justice Scalia. Mm -hmm. right? And we all know Justice Scalia, kind of famous conservative judge not deceased that's right and you know i started i started with a a a forward which was to say um you've got to engage with this opinion i I said i don't care and i know you say this to your students too i don't care what conclusion you draw what i don't want you to do is shut down and say this is scalia this is uh, something i agree with or that i i disagree with i disagree or agree with but you have to engage with what he says and 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 then decide i agree with that or i don't and this is why um and you know that that to me that's what education's about that's I, I want i don't need my students to agree with i want them to think for themselves but i have to wonder when 1.25 million out of 1.45 million of a of a, a university's personnel uh donations are are partisan uh, to the left is that the environment that students are in? Is that the environment they're encountering in other classrooms? In my textbook for corporations, corporations law, it's not a particularly political area of law, right? Mm -hmm. There is a reference to a change in the tax code from 1986. And it said, this change in the tax code was brought about by, of all people, Ronald Reagan. That's Mm -hmm. written in the textbook. Because the notion is, well, gosh knows, this change, which apparently was a good idea, brought about some greater level of fairness. We wouldn't expect that from a conservative. By the way, I pointed out the class. I pointed out the class. I said, listen, I get to choose amongst different leftist textbooks. One is more left than the other. It's not a bad book that I use, by the way, in terms of the substance. Yeah. But that that insidious leftist ideology seeps in even in a book about corporation law. Can you think of oh, anything wow. drier than that? Maybe securities right. law. Right. Maybe bankruptcy law. <laughs> but it's all pretty dry toast if you ask me, brother. Let me tell you. And nonetheless... There's this insidious criticism of conservative ideology and and this uh, just putting down of the notion that a conservative could support a good idea. Sure. Let's, sure. Uh, hey, so Russ. When, when we, uh, I'm sorry, yeah. Rick. Let, 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 let me send it over to Russ. We're going to take a commercial break and then we'll have sure. you back for the last 10 minutes or so. 
This is Robert Steinbach back with Rick Peltz Steele for the remainder of the hour. Rick Peltz Steele, a professor of law at the University of Massachusetts, expert on the Constitution, expert on the First Amendment, expert on the Freedom of Information Act, and co-author with me on the Arkansas, and John Watkins, mind you, of the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act treatise. So if you have any questions about the uh, information, the Freedom of Information Act, call Rick. No, I'm just teasing, Rick. Uh, they can they can call me if they want. Rick, listen, we've got ten minutes left. I want to I want to change topics slightly. I'm not sure entirely, sure. but slightly, and that is, I am a free speech advocate, nearly a free speech purist, and uh, I call out discrimination when I see it. But I also say that uh, every act is not a discriminatory act simply because you don't like it. And I am a strong, I doubt there's anyone stronger supporter of the state of Israel. There may be people tied uh, with me like you, I suspect. Um, So I'm a very strong supporter of the state of Israel uh, for many reasons, including the fact that it's the only real democracy in the Middle East. And uh, I'm not a big fan of dictatorships, oddly enough. I'm not a a, a big fan of of living in the 8th century form of government. Uh, And yet the left seems quite okay with that, by the way. But in any event, so I'm a big supporter of the state of Israel. And there are these leftists who don't like Israel. And so they want to boycott Israel. And uh, I don't agree with that boycott. I think it's a terrible idea. But that's if they wanted to boycott Rick Pelt Steele, I would also think it's a terrible idea. I don't think those in and of itself are racist activities. I think they're they're bad in terms of policy, but it doesn't make them racist. And and as I've pointed out throughout my discourse uh, on Dave's show and elsewhere, uh, banting about the phrase uh, racism when it's not, of course, dilutes uh, when it is. Uh, and yet now we see this representative, you can tell me where she's from, I forget, frankly, um, what state, uh, Omar, uh, and she's made comments, those might actually be racist. Those might actually mm. be anti-Semitic comments. So tell us, what do you know about her comments and what are your thoughts as to whether they are indeed such? Yes, so, so um, and I'm, I'm a little late to this story, but I understand uh, we, we're talking about Representative Ilan Omar. Right. Um, and, and boy, I'm blanking on the state right now myself, too. Okay, don't worry about it. She, she, she's wild, widely heralded as uh, being a Muslim representative, right? mm-hmm. a Muslim woman serving in Congress, which, great, right? I mm-hmm. mean, I, sure. if, uh, I'm all for whatever, uh, and whoever her district wishes to send. Um, now, unfortunately, she she made a tweet uh, in in reference to Minnesota. By the uh, way, Minnesota. Thank yep. you. Yep. Um, she made she she issued a tweet about um, the support in Congress for the state of Israel, mm-hmm. and said that well, of course, and I'm not going to quote this exactly. I don't have sure. it in front of me, but it sure. was uh, essentially that that uh, of course the, the U.S. Congress favors the state of Israel, because it's supported by, financially supported by APAC, A-I-P-A-C, uh, pro-Israel uh, organization, and they, they have all the money. Mm-hmm. That's where the money is, mm-hmm. any of that effect. Mm-hmm. Which just, you know, you're, you're Jewish, Rob. I have Jewish family, as you know. Mm-hmm. It just conjures a, a really repugnant uh, kind of uh, stereotype right. of Jews. And, 
and, and you know, by any by any conventional measure, including her own, by the way, because she has since apologized. Mm-hmm. For credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, racism. Mm-hmm. That's a racist uh, statement. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, of course, as you say, I'm I'm all for free speech. Right. If that's that's right. That's the way you you believe. I'd rather hear it. Exactly. You feel like you sh- you can't say it and keep it a secret. That's right. Um, but what's what's just ironic about it is that this comes from the left. Right. <laughs> this is a that's person right. who who is is being heralded for her. Uh, the diversity, if you will, that she brings to the table, and yet this is uh, apparently her understanding of Jewish people in Israel. Well, we've seen also, uh, relatedly perhaps, conceptually, that the leaders of the Women's March uh, that took place a year or whatever it was ago, maybe two years ago, um, they they have made anti-Semitic and anti-white statements. Mm -hmm. Outwardly. Mm -hmm. Outwardly. Because the leftist environment in which we often live, I think it's changing, thank goodness, but that leftist environment tolerates that because they define such racism out of the concept of racism. As I talked about before you were on with me uh, today, if you take the leftist to English dictionary and you look up racism, they've defined themselves out of the possibility of engaging in racism. So they can't be right. racists because they can't engage in racism. Now, of course, that's circular right. nonsense, right? I mean, it's just make-believe. But this is a problem with the left because they make up words. It's quite literally like the novel 1984 where they make up new words and they disappear other words so that you can't express the notion that someone on the left is a racist because there's no word now to express that. Excuse me. Because racists can't express it. Because someone on the left, particularly a minority on the left, can't be a racist. So you can't use that word. What word you got left? Nothing. They've defined themselves out of their behavior and the behavior which they knee-jerk accuse conservatives of. Of course. Right. And, 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 and it's alarming to resort to color again, too. Right. I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think you can't help but say, okay, uh, Netanyahu, that's a white guy. You know, I mean, it, it's just that, that doesn't qualify. Exactly. Uh, uh, Jews don't qualify. Israel doesn't qualify. And so that's that's not a diverse interest, if you will. Imagine if you wrote about Israel on your diversity application. Oh, exactly. That wouldn't count. That would. Uh, by wouldn't the way, count. Jews have never been discriminated against, have they? Rick, with that <laughs> note, I would like to thank you for really taking an <laughs> immense you. amount of time to share your thoughts with us, to help us better understand the environment in which we're sending our kids to, and what we need to do to bring right to wrong, right to left. And so really, thank you for coming on the show. I look forward to talking with you again on the air and off. Thank you, Rob. It's it's really my pleasure. Folks, we're going to be back after the news uh, and we're going to be talking with Congressman Chip Roy from Texas, and he's going to give us some insight to immigration and the deal on the wall. This is Robert Steinbuck in for Dave. We have on the phone with us, we are honored to have Congressman Chip Roy from the Texas 21st. Chip, thank you so much for coming on the show. Tell us where in Texas you are to begin with. Well, hey, Rob, uh, great to be on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, hope we get together. Uh, enjoyed uh, very much working with you on our days on the Hill. And I'm 
representing Texas 21, which is in the Hill Country, Texas, located uh, in South Austin, North San Antonio, and all the wonderful country sort of in between and kind of west. So Fredericksburg and Kerrville and Bernie and uh, New Braunfels, Texas, and it's just a great part of the state. That's fantastic. From our time working together in the U.S. Senate as staffers, I know that you will be, if not already are, a fantastic congressman, and you'll be uh, sharing your conservative values both with the people that you represent and, of course, your fellow representatives. Let's dive right into it, Chip. Uh, sure. Tell us about the deal. Is the deal what, – what, how did you vote on the deal? Is it a good deal? Is it a bad deal? What do we need to do about illegal immigration? Well, I appreciate the question. I was a no vote on the uh, deal. Good. Uh, I was joined with uh, 14 of my Republican colleagues here in the state of Texas. So if I, we, we had the vast majority of the Texas congressmen voting uh, no. Uh, Senator Cruz voted no. I think Senator Cornyn, my former boss, voted yes. But And I get it, and reasonable people can disagree, but I felt that the bill – didn't do enough with respect to the money, that the dollar value in there for the wall funding was nothing more than the original baseline bill had anticipated. Mm-hmm. I felt that we needed to do vastly more in order to address the humanitarian uh, crisis and the crisis with respect to the power that the cartels have operational control of our southern border, particularly in the Rio Grande Valley sector. And, and there were some poison pills in the bill, particularly tr- troublesome, or some provisions that limit the ability to actually build the wall that the that the bill allegedly says would be built. It actually prohibits it on public lands in south of McAllen, uh, which is in the Rio Grande Valley section. And then it actually empowers some of the local uh, politicians to have kind of a veto over building the wall for at least a period of time. It's hard to determine. So those were problematic. And then most importantly was the Section 224 provision, which basically will empower cartels to use children uh, in order to uh, help people that, that, that would be claimed as their sponsors or potential sponsors who are already in the United States illegally to claim amnesty, to claim uh, exemption from being deported. And that would basically be a magnet for the cartels to go get more kids to use those as cover for the people here illegally. It's a very bad bill uh, or very bad provision in the overall. Are, are, are you there, Chip? I think we're losing you for a moment. Oh, I'm so sorry. No worries. We got uh, you back. We got you back. Good job. Good, yeah. So those were the reasons I had to oppose the bill. Uh, that, that Section 224 provision was very bad in terms of empowering the cartels and, and would harm children. So uh, that's why. Well, Chip, uh, I will uh, quite honestly tell you, I, I had not the time to prepare to find out how you voted on that bill. And I was hoping you would say exactly what you did say, which is that you voted against the bill, because I agree with you. This is a bad bill. Uh, I'm a supporter of Donald Trump. I'm a supporter of the president. I was uh, I, I'm probably one of a handful of academics who supported the president during the election. But that's not saying much in the of leftism that in which I live, uh, but you are a Texas congressman. You live in the environment in which you see the border crossings. You see the illegal activity, and I hear this kind of nonsense on television. Where they're t- first of all, let's let's try to break it down. This claim that well, illegal immigrants commit no more 
per capita crime than Americans do. Uh, that's like telling me that they wear tennis shoes. I'm not sure why that matters, other than the fact that they, if they commit crime and they're illegal, that crime would not have occurred if we enforced our law. We're not talking about changing the law. We're talking about enforcing the law. We can reduce crime by keeping people who commit crime out of this country. Why is that a challenge for the left to understand? It's not a challenge for the left to understand. It is a willful disregard for the truth by mm-hmm. the left because they have an agenda. Mm-hmm. They know exactly what they're doing. And the, 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 the really troubling irony of it is, is that they're uh, hiding behind this false compassion that they're all for open borders and helping these immigrants when those open borders are endangering immigrants, when it's actually harmful for the migrants who seek to come to the United States. To your point on uh, whether or not people who are here illegally commit more crimes or fewer crimes than American citizens. To your point, who cares? That's not the Mm -hmm. question. Mm -hmm. There's data. I've seen data on both sides of the argument. But I'll tell you, Jared Vargas, who was a citizen in San Antonio, uh, which I represent, was murdered last July. His lovely mom, Lori, and, and his aunt, Kristen, we're in Washington this week with other angel families. God bless them. I can them. tell you that none of those angel families are going through and counting the number of crimes committed by illegals versus American citizens, rather than just saying, you know what? One crime was enough for them. Amen. And this was a preventable crime by making sure that that individual wouldn't be here. And our Democrat colleagues want to put their head in the sand like Beto O'Rourke, who wants to go out and say that we need to remove the fences out of El Paso when those fences are keeping Americans safe. Uh, in El Paso, and by the way, was supported by his Democrat predecessor. These people are literally insane when it comes to this issue on the other side of the aisle. And, and let's be clear here, and, and you know this about me, Chip, already, and my audience, or Dave's audience, I should say, uh, know, knows this about me, but I'm going to repeat it nonetheless. I'm the son of immigrants. Happen to be legal, thank God, uh, but regardless I'm the son of immigrants. I am for immigration. I am not for anything in which the first word of that thing is illegal, even if I think that thing may be good. If it's illegal, we don't do it. We change the law. I'm not looking to change the law on immigration, mind you. I'm not looking to have open borders. But how can any law-abiding American and how can any representative of the government say illegal Illegal immigration is a good thing. Are you, are you able to explain that idiocracy to me? Well, I can't explain it other than that our, my, our colleagues on the other side of the aisle have an agenda, and that agenda is a free flow of people coming into the United States. Uh, I believe they think it's in their political interest to do so. But even if I put that cynicism aside, I think that they, uh, they believe that it is um, uh, something that, from a policy standpoint, they don't care about sovereignty, right? They don't care about ensuring that our nation is uh, in, protected and enforced, um, that we enforce our laws and enforce the border because they just don't care about sovereignty. And I, look, I don't understand it. When you go down to the border, as I did in the Rio Grande Valley two weeks ago uh, today, actually, and was visiting with a border patrol who were telling Hundred thousand people would come across the border through the Rio Grande Valley this year, and then of that, two hundred thousand would go unappre- unapprehended, and then of the two hundred thousand who would be apprehended, ninety percent will be caught and released because we're operating. And you get this as a smart lawyer, 
operating under judicially mandated catch and release. Unbelievable. Because we're unwilling to tell the Ninth Circuit to go pound sand, which is what we really should do, mm-hmm. and say that we are going to enforce the laws. We're going to keep families together. Yes, but we're going to put them in. We're going to hold them until we adjudicate their asylum claims. And we're going to stop allowing cartels to abuse our abuse our asylum laws to the detriment of our national security and the well-being of the migrants who seek to come here. That's what we need to do. Well, Chip, don't we also at this point have to change our asylum laws? Meaning if they are so prone to abuse and the left exploits that abuse, forget about the illegal aliens expo- exploiting the, 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 um, that option. The left is exploiting it. Don't we have to change that? We do need to change the asylum laws. We particularly need to change the uh, flawed uh, Flores settlement, as you're, you're well aware, mm-hmm. which is the, the piece that requires, uh, allegedly, by this, the court that you uh, release families because you must release a child. That's not even really consistent with the law. We ought to be able, under our current laws, hold the family together. Uh, but the asylum laws, uh, we ought to change. But at the end of the day, I actually think the laws as written, if we strictly applied them, we could function. The asylum laws aren't meant to be for economic uh, uh, issues that you're having in your home country or, or even familial issues. It's meant to be that your country is providing is, is not creating a situation where you can live safely. You're, you're fleeing that. Isn't that so often proven by the fact that we have people, say, from Guatemala coming up through Mexico and somehow they can't stop in Mexico because the the environment that is endangering their life in Guatemala travels with them through Mexico? I can't even understand the logic of that claim. Well, well so here's something that's really fascinating, right? Tamaulipas is the state just south of the Texas border, right across from McAllen and Brownsville along the Gulf of Mexico. Tamaulipas is operationally controlled by the Gulf Cartel. The Gulf Cartel operationally controls, therefore, our border with them. Tamaulipas is a level four state. That means that it is a no-travel zone, a no-go zone, if you, uh, if you follow the State Department. Right. That means it is more dangerous than Honduras, more dangerous than mm-hmm. Guatemala. That means it is of the same level of danger as Syria. Wow. This is what we're doing. We're turning our backs on the, on the, these are kids. I mean, I've met, not all of them are kids, let's be serious, sure. but these are, some of them are children and they're being abused by the cartels. I talked to a 10 year old and 11 year old girl. They were sitting there and they were all along the Rio Grande River and I was talking to them in my broken Spanish and they had traveled along this way without their parents. Wow. And we know that uh, the Amnesty International tells us that a third of them are not treated well on the journey. Right. And you know what that means. Absolutely. Yeah, I know what that means. Absolutely. And, and this is the responsibility of a Democrat party that refuses to acknowledge our duty to have a secure border so that we send a message to the rest of the world that they're not going to just waltz in and therefore they're not going to be subjected to the horrors of going through the cartels and then end up in a stash house in Houston like the 54 that I saw last week or, ta- or heard about last week who are now paying ransom to the Gulf cartel for the privilege of having come here. Uh, by way of the cartel. That's what we're allowing to happen. The greatest country, the most powerful country the world has ever known, we're allowing that to happen on our doorstep, and it's just wrong. It's, it's a travesty. And similarly, the left, as you mentioned a moment ago, they seem to have this notion of open borders. We really need to help people. They're not helping people as the process, as they proceed through these awful environments. And then they seem not to understand, much like a lifeboat, that there's only so much immigration that we can take in any one given time, or we too will sink. But 
the, the, the left, you know, propagates this idea that money is unlimited coming from a few elites whose pockets we're going to pick. No, you're exactly right. And look, the, the extent to which Democrats that I know of like to live in their ivory tower talking about, you know, all of these hypothetical issues with respect to immigrants, but yet turn their back on these migrants. It really is astounding and shocking. And look, the president is right to be focused like a laser on our border. I know a lot of people are cynical and say it's just a political calculation, but the reality is we have a very real problem on our border. It is a crisis. I indeed believe it is an emergency. That now that's a separate conversation about uh, the operation, which I'm happy right. to talk about. Right. But but it is an emergency at our border in terms of what we're dealing with. That's right. And I think the president is right to focus on it. I wish that uh, the president had not signed the bill. I urged him yesterday to veto the bill. Right. Uh, in fact, I was on Fox last night, or uh, uh, you know, as we were finishing voting, and uh, went over there and said, "Look, I, cause I, I was hoping the president would see it and say, look, we." We need to be, I think you should veto this bill. I think it undermines what you're trying to do. But, uh, you know, here we are, and they passed it and signed it, and we'll go through and try to fix some of the bad provisions in it, like that 224 provision. Thank goodness. Chip, you're, you're a great American. I mean that sincerely. You're a great conservative. You are serving your people well. You're serving the Congress well, uh, and you're serving America well. And I hope we can have future conversations with you and help straighten out the mess that we see in Washington. Uh, thank you, and God bless you. Well, Rob, thanks for having me on. You know, keep giving them hell in the world of academia and stay true to your roots and, and happy to come on this show with you or, or uh, any other host anytime. And, and uh, you know, let's get together soon. And our, our mutual uh, friend who happens to be a judge uh, made, made me say that I'd say hello, and I'm glad to be on the show. Thank you, my friend. Take care. This is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. As you just heard, we had a very nice conversation with a congressman from Texas, Chip Roy. I know Chip for years now when I and he both worked on the staff in the United States Senate. And as you heard, most of the congressional delegation from Texas voted against the border deal. These are the guys living on the border. And they voted against the border deal. We have a problem. We have a really big problem. The president has made a pledge to secure the border. This is part of What's wrong with the left today? They don't understand that you need to, A, you need to prioritize interests. And B, there are certain things that government must do. There are certain things that government can't do. And there are some things that government may do. And what government must do is preserve the integrity and the security of the United States. That is their number one obligation. I tend to be, or at least have been, more interventionalist than, say, President Trump is. But that notwithstanding, whether the president and I happen to agree on whether we should stay longer or less long in Syria, and I'm not too sure, frankly. I don't have all the information. What we do agree on 100% And what every American should agree on is the basic notion that our borders must be secure. If our borders are not secure, everything else fails. 
You are a failure as a leader, as a country, and I'm talking not the president alone. I'm talking the president, the Congress, uh, both houses. I'm talking every law enforcement agency in this country. You are a failure if you cannot secure our country's borders. The president knows this. The president campaigned on this. The president won on this basic notion. No one's against immigration. Hey, leftists, hold back on your claims of racist. Hold back your claims of misogynist. Hey, uh, Senator from from uh, Hawaii, hold back on your claims that men need to shut up because they're men. Hold back on that for a moment. I don't care who's coming across the border. If they're legal, if they have what's ever required, be it a visa or whatever the papers they're required to get, sometimes none at all, great. Come on over. And then leave when you're supposed to leave or stay if you're allowed to stay. Great. I'm not talking about legal immigration. We can have a conversation about that another day. But I'm not even talking about that. And let me be clear. We should, we do, and we will continue to have Legal immigration. Nobody thinks we should eliminate legal immigration. Some people say less, but some people say more. Okay, whatever. I don't know. I really don't know. We'll always have immigration. And we always should have immigration. What we should have zero of is illegal immigration. Because the first word is illegal. Yet the leftists don't care. I agree with Chip, by the way. I think the leftists want illegal immigration because they think eventually it will result in more Democratic votes. And it, and, and it might. I don't know. And then some of them are pie in the sky, rainbow wishing, unicorn loving, ideal, uh, idealists. But I mean idealists, frankly, in a ridiculous fashion. It's good to be idealistic. But it's not good to live in a fantasy land. And a fantasy land is when you think you can open your door and let anybody in and there'll be no downside. Here's my advice to you leftists that believe that. Open your front door. Let them in. Let them in your home. Hey, Nancy, tear down that wall around your home. You don't want a wall on the border because it's immoral? What about the wall around your house? Tear down that wall, Nancy. You hypocrite. You liar. Unlock that door. How many illegal aliens are living on your front lawn, Nancy? That's why they're hypocrites. Because they're a bunch of elitists. Rich in gated communities, driving around in limousines, telling you, the everyday Joe, you need to absorb the cost. And the election of Donald Trump has proven many things, one of which is common sense thinking Americans, common sense thinking Arkansans have said the following, we ain't going to take it anymore. We're not going to take it anymore. That's it. We're done. 
I don't need a preacher. I've got a preacher in my church. I don't need the president to be my preacher. And that's what we had with Obama. And we had enough of it. And now we have freedom again. And we're going to hear the news. This is Robert Steinmuck, as you know, filling in for Dave today. We are continuing our discussion on border security, on illegal immigration, and really the vacuous arguments that the left has been making about these issues. They make this claim that they know how much drugs are coming across the border in between checkpoints. But actually, that's exactly where you don't know where drugs are coming across the border. You know that when we stop people there, how much you can get, but you don't know what you don't know, to paraphrase the former Secretary of Defense. That's nonsense. As we discussed with Congressman Chip Roy, I don't care. I don't care what the percentage of crimes are committed by illegal aliens compared to Americans. It's greater than zero and they're illegal aliens. We make a choice every day when we let people into this country. And we do let people legally into this country every day. And we make a choice. And we understand the risks and the benefits. But that choice is taken away from us. When we let illegal aliens choose on our behalf, it's our choice, not their choice, as to who and when and how we let people into this country. Hey, hey, Russ, there's another area in which I'm pro-choice. I'm pro-choice. Make sure you get this full quote, leftists. I'm pro-choice when it comes to who gets to choose Who comes into America? I'm pro-Americans choosing that. Not illegal aliens choosing that. Americans choose who come into this country. And these elected representatives for our country, the leftists, want to ignore the law. Ignore the law. They're lawmakers. And yeah, but we don't like that law. We didn't vote for that law, so that one don't count. What the heck is that? No, not a single person should come across the border illegally. They want to make use of asylum. You go make use of asylum the legal way. And by the way, we need to fix the system. As Chip pointed out, you want to come make use of asylum, come, come do it. And then you wait. You don't get released into the country. The asylum process is not a backdoor system in which you get free entry. It's not do not pass, go go straight to jail. It's the opposite, apparently. It's show up at the border, get into the country. That can't be right. Congress, you got to fix that. That was a mistake made by a judge, and now we're stuck with it, but Congress can fix it. Change that law. Absolutely. In the meantime, the president needs to set up places where we hold asylum seekers. Oh, but if they bring a kid, here's the trick, by the way, folks. I'm not sure you realize this. Here's the trick. If asylum seekers bring a kid with them, 
And then that kid is entitled to be, can't be held for too long. Uh, then the whole family gets let go. That can't be right. It's like, it's like a rabbit's foot. That can't be right. We need to fix that system. And we need to ensure that people are not coming across the border illegally. Why is this such a complicated concept? I spoke to a good friend of mine, and she's a liberal. And she goes, well, I support border security. Good. I think we've moved the ball forward. But I only support drones and border guards and technology. I said, when did you become an expert on on border security? Well, I heard on television that, right, okay. And a wall doesn't work, right? Well, somebody on television said, a wall doesn't work. Do you have a wall around your house? No, we don't have any fences around my house. Do you have a wall on your house? Or is it just a roof with sticks holding up the roof? Well, of course we've got a wall. But the wall, we gotta, gotta have a wall to keep the weather out. Oh, okay, okay. Right. Do you have a front door? Yep, we got a front door. Yeah. Well, do you close? Well, we gotta close it to keep the animals out, the, the raccoons and the, and the squirrels out. Oh, okay. Do you lock that door? Well, yes. Why? Why do you lock that door? If you can lock your front door and you lock your front door, then don't complain when we want to lock the border. We can open it. There's a gate. You can come through legally. But this notion that anybody can come through at any time, anywhere, however they want, and the left is unabashed in their endorsement of this idea. It's remarkable. It's absolutely remarkable. Oh, well, you know, yeah, the Berlin Wall, everybody said the Berlin Wall was bad. We, uh, we can't. The Berlin Wall was to hold people in. The Soviets built the Berlin Wall to keep the Germans on the eastern part of uh, Berlin from going to the American side. It wasn't to keep people out. It was to keep people in. It was a jail. It was a jail. That's why it was bad, because those people shouldn't be in jail. But walls between countries? The New York Times, in their desperation, acknowledges that the wall in Israel actually works. Oh, but but the New York Times says the land over there is flatter and it's a shorter distance. Does that mean that a wall won't work? That's your claim? That a wall for a certain distance works and then after a certain distance it just stops working? That's the New York Times and the other leftist ideologues' conception of how a wall stops working? What's that about? That is nonsense. Nobody has ever asserted that a wall is 100% effective. Nothing's 100% effective. There's no guarantees in life on anything. So do we just give up? Do we just stop? Or do we do the best we can by moving the ball forward? Are you more secure, equally as secure, or less secure with a wall? What do you think?
And if you think you're more secure, then you've demonstrated the incredible ability of having common sense. That's it. That's the proof that the wall works. Common sense. And thousands of years of history. Well, that's 8th century technology. Yeah, like the wheel, like fire, like a fork, like a cup. Really? All these people apparently living in Bill Gates' house, all with technology. All these leftists don't understand simple, simple innovation, like a wall. And as we discussed, people like Nancy living behind a wall. What a hypocrite. What an absolute hypocrite. Here's what I had thought we could, pro- the president rather, could have perhaps done. He could have vetoed the bill. And then, of course, the left would have loved that because we would have had nearly a million government workers out of work. Why do we have a million government workers, by the way? A million government workers! We would have had a million government workers out of work. Declare a national emergency for the million government workers out of work. And then give them emergency payments. And let the libs, let the leftists go to court and stop the payments to the government workers. Now How much that, did we actually lose out while those people were out of work? Say again? How much did we actually lose out on while those people were out of work? It's a good question. It's a good question. It, but here's the thing, Russ. You're, you're, you're spot on. What, what are we going to do? To make sure that our country is safe. The libs have no interest in it. The left has no interest in it. The left is the one. They, on the census. The government had the temerity. To ask. If you're a citizen. We used to ask that question years ago. And we stopped asking. it. And the government had the temerity. To put that question back on. You can't even ask that. This is the world in which we're living now, but the world is a-changing. President Trump's election demonstrates that. President Trump embodies the basic notion, so contrary to leftist ideology, that I was trained in when I started in law school. That is, if I represent a client... I do everything legally within my power to represent that client. I don't represent the guy down the street. I don't represent the government if I'm representing a private client. I represent that client. If I'm a criminal defense attorney, I represent that criminal to the best of my ability, even if he's a criminal. I represent someone in the contract. I represent that side of the contract. I don't make a deal for both sides of the contract. The other side brings their own attorney and we hash it out. And President Trump represents America. America. Well, that's not so good for Canada or Singapore or France. You know, what about that? They, they, they got their own presidents, their own premiers, their own dictators, whatever it may be. Let them represent their interests. Well, there are some people in this other country, they're suffering and we need to take them. We can give help, but we don't need to do anything. We need to take care of Americans. When we have eliminated poverty and problems for Americans, 
Then start crying to me about the rest of the world and I'll chip in. I'll be the first to chip in. But now we've got people who live in hard times and these leftists are saying we need to help out these immigrants from other countries who are sneaking in illegally. Then we need to give them health care. We need to give them schooling. Where do you think the money comes from? It comes from the pockets of hardworking Americans, including those who are struggling this very day. And yet the leftists don't care. They do not care. Beto O'Rourke spending five years bumming around New York City, playing in band, going to bars. Good for him. Hey, more power to him. But as far as I'm concerned, that's not a method of understanding the needs of hardworking Americans. Sorry. Sorry, I don't, I don't think he is enlightened as to the struggles that everyday Americans have to deal with. When I grew up, as I've talked about today and previously on this show, it was no panacea, I assure you. My parents struggled many times. And at times, and certainly later, as, as I got older, and as we all got older, right, We accumulated some modest amount of wealth. We quite literally went from the working class, the lower working class, to maybe the middle to upper middle class during my lifetime. That's a long time, by the way, folks. And my parents worked hard, hard for it. And they struggled. And we went without on many extravagances. Because it was the right thing to do. I'm not complaining. But if you're asking families like mine was back then to give more, I can tell you what that answer is for today's families in that environment. We can't give anymore. Enough is enough. We will help at best we can our families, our communities, and our countrymen. But that's it. That's it. Enough is enough. And then, when that problem, the problems of hardworking Americans are resolved, only then should we be having a discussion about increasing the number of immigrants who are not bringing special skills into this country. Increasing those numbers. Special skills... We can take now because that inures to our benefit. That's why we need to focus far more on merit based admissions to this country. Much like we need to focus at universities and, and graduate schools on merit based admissions. Well, Rob, I thought I thought you need I thought you had merit based admissions in college and, and, and uh, law school and uh, medical school and that type of thing already. Yeah. And then we discount it. Wait a second. We don't have enough people that look like this. We don't have enough people that look like that. That's the problem. Merit-based admissions to this country, to universities. That's how we better this country. Let's take a break and we'll be back. 
This is Robert Steinbeck filling in for Dave. Uh, I want to thank Dave for allowing me to sit in for him. Uh, I could never do as good a job as he does, but I hope you enjoyed the show today. In the last few minutes that we have, I want to bring it back. I want to bring it back home. We've talked about national issues that obviously affect Arkansans uh, directly. Uh, We've talked about local issues. We've talked about theoretical uh, and philosophical issues. Now let's talk in the last few minutes about our great legislature. And we really do have a great legislature in the state. I was just telling a friend of mine that what's, I think, unique, if at least not rare, about our legislature is you want to talk to a state senator, you want to talk to a representative, call them up, call her up. Drive down to the Capitol, knock on the door. Overwhelmingly, you could meet with them, you can talk with them, you can share your views. And so it's really, we're a small state. We have a relatively small population. And that's wonderful because that gives rise to real democracy. It's a representative democracy by definition, but it's a democracy in which your voice can be heard. And so, With that, I tell everybody who's listening, call your rep if you have an issue for them to to work on. Call your senator if you want a bill introduced on a particular topic and you think that you can convince them to do so. And I want to say to the representatives and legislators, many of whom I know, many of whom I've worked with, many of whom I speak to regularly, and many of whom have already heard me say this, but I'm going to say it again and I'm going to say it again thereafter. We are the most conservative legislature in the country right now. You need to start, or you need, excuse me, let me be fair. You need to continue to pass conservative bills now. We pay, We passed the Dave Ellswick free speech bill. That was Kim Hammer. That was Bob Ballinger. That was um, uh, um, um, Sullivan, Dan Sullivan. I know I'm leaving out names. I apologize for that. That was passed with input from me, a conservative professor. I don't do that to pat myself on the back, but then to thereafter tell you with input by liberal professor Josh Silverstein. Why? Because free speech is an idea that is supported by those who are honest on the left and those on the right. Unfortunately, we don't have that many people on the left who are honest. Josh Silverstein is an example of somebody on the left who's honest. He says... Oh, the conservatives are under siege on university campuses across this campus, across this country, and we need to save speech for them. And I say, but Josh, you don't, you're not particularly interested in conservative speech. He goes, wrong you are, Rob. I'm interested in conservative speech, not because I agree with it, but I can't debate a mirror. I can't discuss with a mirror. I need to have somebody with opposing views to have a conversation. Moreover, there's no way our students are going to learn if they're just lectured to and hectored by leftists alone. And right now in the academy, across this country, students are lectured to and hectored by almost entirely leftists. So legislature, stay at work, pass those bills. I want to see bills on every conservative topic passed. 
And I have not seen enough of it. We need to see more free speech bills. You think the Dave Ellswick free speech on campus bill is the only free speech bill? No, it ain't. No, it ain't. There's far more to be done on free speech alone. Free speech for government employees. Free speech for members of the public. Our speech is under attack. And it's the First Amendment. And all of the other amendments flow therefrom. If you can't protect the first one, forget about the rest of it. The left has done a great job over the last 30 or 40 years eviscerating the Second Amendment. And only now have we been able to pull that back. You call your state rep and you call your senator and you tell them, stay at work, pass some bills. Thank you all. God bless America. God bless Arkansas. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.